Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, the rotting root in the family tree, Rod, and I'm joined by... An emotional 13-year-old, Jess. And uh, welcome to Media Made. Welcome! So if you're new to the show, here's what we're doing, because it's a music episode. We've looked at a list of every music album released in the year 2003, and we've determined which one each of us had listened to the most in our lives. And also, if you're new, uh, all the old people know that, all the older kids know that uh, music episodes means that we're going to sing everything we talk because it's a musical episode, right? Incorrect. Correct. This is not a, an Even Stevens musical, oh. which you made me watch as a follow-up from our last recording. <laughs> it was awful. It was really bad. It was really bad. I already knew it was going to be bad because I didn't like Even Stevens, but it was, it was spectacularly bad and not in a good way follow-up i do remember watching that episode they went to the moon in 1969 i remember that song <laughs> i thought it was 1962 69 we went to the moon in 1962 <laughs> anyway uh music we're not singing it we're gonna be playing clips and things about the music we're gonna listen to but yeah we're gonna basically this is our our not our favorite albums per se but the albums we've heard the most of from the year 2003 yeah I also, as we just went back through the list, don't think I have a favorite album from this year. I think one of my runners-up I might like more than this. Hmm. But yeah, you know, it's like you, you, you see in the title, you know, my my <laughs> album is by my favorite band. <laughs> and the again. betrayal of it not being your favorite album of this year. It's what it is, you know, it's one of the weaker <laughs> albums. But what is that album? Because again, my favorite band, we've talked about them so much. They're, they're, they're a third guest at this point. <laughs> Released November 11th, 2003, a deliberate indulgence of heavy metal songwriting, a balls-to-the-wall album by this progressive metal band that is Train of Thought by Dream Theater. heavy metal riffs i don't know what's the definition of heavy metal just kidding we don't have time in the podcast for that conversation uh heavy i mean by this point in time heavy metal had a very specific uh um definition mm -hmm. and style okay so typically like out with dream theater or some you know other obscure album that it make us listen to um <laughs> i find a point in time to like squeeze in well here's where rock and metal were in general <laughs> But the thing is, this is one of those few times where Dream Theater's on the the wave. They're on the uh, pop culture wave. They're riding the 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 popular music craze of the time. Mm. Um, because by 2003, we are in the full throes of the new wave of American heavy metal. Mm. Uh, so the history of heavy metal in America is very, I don't know, complicated, especially in the 70s, because uh, they're really like there were a few like obscure bands in the in the early 70s who were really do, they were doing the heavy metal that we accept as heavy metal today mm -hmm. you know but typically all that was all the real heavy metal bands were in britain black sabbath deep purple uh you know the, the, you know and even judas priest and motorhead later right, right, it was right. all british and like our heavy metal was more hard rock stuff like alice cooper and kiss mm -hmm. and van halen right mm -hmm. and then we are our, our, I think our first real true 
what people consider to be like, you know, just straight heavy metal in America was probably the thrash metal boom in the 80s. Mm-hmm, Metallica, yeah. Megadeth, right, Slayer, right. Anthrax. And then we were off to the races. America had their own branch of heavy metal right. that was our own. But then, you know, by the 90s, like metal was kind of diversifying. You know, mm-hmm. alternative rock and grunge were more popular in, right. the, in the 90s. And, you know, we had things like groove metal with like Pantera. We saw the boom of new metal and and you metal. It's funny that you mentioned that. Corn, <laughs> Limp Bizkit. Link Park. Marilyn Manson. Yes. So the, the new metal craze of the mid to late 90s kind of transitioned to, into what is known now as the new wave of American heavy metal, right? Mm-hmm. There's some crossover. There's like a Venn diagram where there's like new metal, new wave of American heavy metal. And in the middle, you have bands like uh, Disturbed, Linkin Park, Marilyn Manson, right? Mm-hmm. But by now, 2003, we're starting to see just kind of like people are abandoning the rap rock. Mm-hmm. And now we're straight into like, you know, we're seeing a lot more heavy metal bands come in and refresh the American heavy metal sound. <laughs> so bands like Lamb of God, Godsmack, Kill Switch Engaged, mm-hmm. uh, System of a Down, mm-hmm. Atreyu. Right. And then all of that also ties into like the metal core. It started to really take off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are American heavy metal is thriving. Yeah. In 2003. And it just so happens that my favorite band, Dream Theater, which is a progressive metal band, they have two sides. Mm-hmm. They have a prog- you know more artful, progressive side with you know kind of orchestral sounds and synths mm-hmm. and you know long songs, very pretty. And then they have the heavy metal side, which is very much inspired by Metallica and Iron Maiden and stuff like that. Right, so right. they're a metal band. It's 2003. They decide let's make a balls to the wall heavy metal album. It's fair. And that is what Train of Thought is. Yeah. My 2003 album. It's much more metal, a lot more riffs, a lot more aggression. Yeah. Which I think is interesting um, because, like, I in, hey, hey, Dream Theater, who never listens to this. And if you ever do, hey, you want to come, on, come to our show? We've had one we've interaction. We've had one Dream Theater member listen to our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Papanichi. Yeah. To Charlie Del Medici, original singer of <laughs> Dream Theater. And um, I love you guys. You you've given a lot of personality to my husband. This is the album that I've prepared more because this is more in my realm of right, like the rock that I prefer. Even though I know that you'll sit here and it's like, do you like rock? You like pop rock? You like Nickelback? I was like, yes, I do enjoy those things. But this was like a lot more listenable for me personally than uh, some of their previous albums. Though there are definitely songs from their previous albums that I have downloaded on my phone. Um, this one was just like, even though there's some songs that were like 14 minutes, it didn't feel necessarily that long because I was like, oh yeah, this vibe sits better with me. So I was just like, yeah, I probably like metal a bit more. Even when you were talking, you were talking about like System of Down, which in 2003, I hated them. No offense guys. But I was just like, I can't even understand what they're saying, blah, blah, blah. But recently when we had, I don't know, a movie night the, uh, a little bit ago, I was like, I don't, oh no, it was for your birthday. <laughs> I was like, just on the down was playing and it was like, I actually don't mind this. I might have to give them a listen to see if I have grown as a person, which I probably have, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And it, that's the thing. Like they are, you know, w- one of those rare times where Dream Theater is in the mainstream doing a mainstream sound. 
Yeah. And it's not because they were trying to cater to the mainstream. It's, it's just also ma- part of their... The mainstream came to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because they never really... They, they, they were always doing heavy metal stuff, but mm-hmm. like, you know, just so happens the year they really felt in tune with their dark side. Mm-hmm. They wanted to write a heavy metal album. That was the same point in time when the American market was really starting to embrace heavy metal again. Yeah. Yeah. It works, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that you're like, usually I would work in how weird that they, and then you did. <laughs> well, I was saying now I don't have to do it during a song. Oh, you know, I didn't yeah. have to find like, you know, a small segment of a one song by Dream Theater and say, well, this sounds like what is going on right now. Huh. It's the whole album kind of sounds like that. Nice. I was your straight man. What is the other one called? A Crooked Man? Cr- don't cross the crooked step. <laughs> we'll get there. So obviously you've never heard this album before. I've heard it once. <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> uh, so we, we've, we've talked about your history of Dream Theater. Mm-hmm. It's only because of me. Yes. Uh, this album is one of the last albums I got from Dream Theater before I start. You know, they started releasing music concurrently when I was, you know, mm. from when I was listening. So uh, this was, you know, among the you know later Dream Theater albums that I collected and listened to. Makes sense. But I remember. The first time I got this album and listened to it, uh, I took a car trip to the beach with my friend Steven and his family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had my iPod in. I was listening to music on the way to the beach. And I just remember listening to this album and with John Petrucci's very long guitar solos in my <laughs> ears. Uh, I remember, <laughs> I guess I must have been listening to the music very loud because my friend Steven's dad was like, what are you listening to? <laughs> Does he ever stop playing that guitar? Something like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, he doesn't. Very self-indulgent guitars Mm -hmm. playing on this album sometimes. But uh, yeah. So that's like the main memory I have with this album. And it's just like one of those albums that it's like, I I, I like this album. I remember listening to it while I did my homework off of MySpace. Back when, you know, (laughs) MySpace had music. MySpace. MySpace was... Where you listen to music, not not YouTube, not Spotify. That's fair. That's fair. I didn't do that though. <laughs> Radio Disney. Just kidding. Um, that's cute. I like the idea of you're like I'm going to a beach, a place I hate, while listening to my favorite band loudly in a car with other people. So I went. Anyway, uh, let's talk about how this album was made. Okay. As we talked about in our 2002 music episode, because again, <laughs> Dream Theater released an out. Dream Theater. Two albums, two years in a row. It's too much, man. It's too much. Back to back. Progressive metal band Dream Theater embarked on their world turbulence, world tour. Oh, yeah. After releasing their 2002 double album, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. I remember that. Double album, 2002. Another full album, 2003. My goodness. Think about that. Uh, would you remember uh, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence? I do remember it. <laughs> any, any. Mem- it was just three months ago. <laughs> did you, did you enjoy it? Hmm. How long was the the title track? Too long. <laughs> it was 40, 40 minutes. 40 minutes long. 40 minutes. But it's funny you listen to that out like if you listen to that episode or just listen to the album, that's much more on the progressive side of things, yeah. you know. Yeah. Not there was some metal. We listened to at least one song that had like mm-hmm. a heavy metal edge, but it was you know, far more progressive than metal. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. During that world tour, the band performed a set of special shows in which they played none of their own material, but instead covered classic heavy metal albums by other bands in their entirety. Oh, wow. Particularly Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast, 
and Metallica's Master of Puppets. Mm. And these are bootlegged. You can go listen to these. Yeah. Um, I've listened to them. The <laughs> the number of the Beast albums way better than the Master of Puppets <laughs> album. And it's it's not because it, they did a bad job covering Metallica. It's because James Labrie, the singer, does not have. He doesn't have that like James Hetfield gruff yeah. voice. You know, he doesn't have the grit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, you know, it's it's Dream Theater singer trying to do Metallica. It's like, you know, he does fine in some places, other places not so much. You know, covers aren't supposed to sound exactly the same. Yeah, it's 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 rough <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting that they did this, and they would do this more often later. They, they did a full Deep Purple album. Mm. They did um, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Mm. Another one of their big influences. So. It's interesting that they do this, you know, Mm -hmm. it was basically I think they had like a two, you know, like they did a show somewhere internationally. They had two nights, just stream theater. So like, you know, night one, they would play their music and the night two, they would surprise everyone with a cover performance Mm. of another classic album by someone else. Hmm. It's neat. Neat. Feeling inspired by these cover performances and the positive audience response to their heavier songs, as well as wanting to appeal to fans of the growing new wave of American heavy metal scene, Dream Theater decided to record a more metal-focused, song-oriented album, something drummer Mike Portnoy would describe as, quote, balls to the wall. To the window! <laughs> no. <laughs> he said song-oriented, too. You know, so it's like, not a concept album, you know, where all the songs, like, you know, have to fit a theme or tell a story or something. It's mm-hmm. like, no, these are all just... It's a collection of songs, like an album usually is. Like an album usually is, yeah. I think maybe that's another reason you uh, connect to this album more. Oh, yeah, that it's just like, oh. I, no, okay, well, no, I don't want to say, may, maybe, maybe, I'm not going to say no to that. But I will say it was just musically more, because I won't say that all the songs with the lyrics, some of them was like, <laughs> um, but like, but musically, yeah, it was just a little harder which and like a lot less dramatic progressive changes in the musicality and that's easier for me to handle fair enough dream theater entered the studio in march 2003 setting aside three weeks for writing prior to recording where typically they would write and record at the same time you know this time they said no let's actually spend some time write these songs ahead of time good good job Yeah, yeah three weeks is still wild it was like a record time apparently the full album was written in those three weeks, which I said, record time for the band, and they moved on to recording in April. Hmm. In June, directly in the middle of the recording sessions for the new album, Dream Theater embarked on a special North American tour with Queensryche and Fate's Warning, with all three bands noted as pioneers of the progressive metal scene. Huh. That's like the big three. Yeah. Progressive metal. And so I was like, that probably would have been a really fun tour. Mm. And I've, I've, I have some bootleg uh, recordings from that tour. Mm-hmm. And they would like all three bands would get up on stage and record like a cover together. Mm. You know, so I was like, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. If I built you a time machine, would you go back to one of those concerts? Maybe. Yeah. We'd have to buy it. We'd have to go to the 70s first because I want to see Pink Floyd. <laughs> I'm not going to the 70s. You could take the time machine yourself. This tour was referred to as the... Escape from the Studio American Tour. (laughs) After the tour's conclusion in August, Dream Theater returned to the studio with recording concluded in September. The album, titled Train of Thought, released in November. 
That's so still really good turnaround. They 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 got this album out in less than a year, yeah. and they took a break yeah. to tour in between because it was too much. They're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Let's go play other stuff with our friends. Yeah, not their friends. Okay, we'll talk about that. Oh dear. Yeah, some of these songs might have been inspired by their time on that tour. Oh, by the by lyrics the, are not kind, guys. By the way, yeah, yeah, the uh, the this album and Jess's album. We're gonna we're gonna explore a range of emotions. <laughs> that's why that's why I'm an emotional thirteen year old. Guys, this, this might be the most emotionally charged music episode we've ever done. <sighs> like, we've talked like vapid albums or like albums where like, you know, like they, my, Michael Jackson. You don't know what bad is. You don't know what you, you have no idea what you're writing <laughs> Sir, about. You are you are. Kawhi, what are you talking about? You know, like I people putting on, you know, a front, you know, like not really getting deep into their emotions. Like, no, all of the songs here come from the heart. Yeah. It is people speaking honestly about how they feel about certain things. The bottom part of the heart, though, like <laughs> where you bury everything. Yeah, the the one, <laughs> I, I would say the one notable uh, emotion not represented in any of our songs today is like joy. Yup. <laughs> yup. Hi guys, and it's funny. I th I, th I would say probably like uh, the the folks in Dream Theater who who did the songwriting. They all purposely chose topics and songs that they felt like they could. They have like you know very powerful emotions regarding mm -hmm. you know. So it's it's either things that they're frustrated by, angry at, or just kind of like you know uh, something that you know draws out like a really powerful. Emotion and reaction. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense. I think, like, th this is their first, like, full metal album in a while, and they really want to go. They wanted something to really carry the, like, the... Aggression. The aggression of the the music. Yep. The instruments. That makes sense. So let's talk about the first song that we're going to talk about. Oh, we're already in the songs. We're in the songs. I was thinking that, too. I was like, we shouldn't have a very long intro. What have we not said about Dream Theater? Yeah, I was like, we've... we've the only thing we haven't done is name their wives and children. Let's not do that. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> I was gonna, speaking of their wives, I don't know if I'll have it, any other point to say this, but <laughs> guitarist John Petrucci, drummer Mike Portnoy, and bassist John Myung all, are all married to musicians. And those three musicians were all in another band together, like a female metal band. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, like, I just think that's really funny. You know, it's like all three dudes from Dream Theater married three women from another band. We should just do a dark episode that is just off of them. Just like, hey, <laughs> we're just going to listen to the other the other halves. And then uh, Petrucci and Portnoy's daughters have a podcast together. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. No, you raise your families together. Yeah, that's really it's very funny. Anyway, yeah, yeah. If you want the history of Dream Theater up till this point, you know, go listen to all of our Dream Theater all episodes. Of them. There's like six of them. There so. is like six degrees of Dream Theater. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, we're gonna open with the opening track to the album, which is called "As I Am."
that already has the new wave of American heavy metal sound. Mm-hmm. Like just the way the guitar sounds gives me like drowning pool vibes or something. Never listened to them, but yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 I don't know. Just like it's it's almost alternative metal. Mm. The opening to this song. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Anyway, as I am, it's a song about someone being angry. Would you agree? I was gonna say it sound. The title sounds like a like Hillsong song. Take me as I am, Jesus. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not that kind of song. It's not kids. a Christian song. No, nope. <laughs> no, it's not even exploring faith at all. No, even though that's usually a thing that John Petrucci likes to do because yeah. this song was written by. Guitarist John Petrucci. Yeah, okay. So that was also, I was like, most of the titles of the songs we're going to talk about, I was like, these could be titles of, ch- of church tracks. Like, it's true. Yeah. I and, think, and one song in particular does reflect on religion, but yes. not this one. No, it's not that one. And, the, and it, it's a reflection. It's a very. Mm. Anyway, what was your question? <laughs> what do you think of the song? What do you think it's about? Uh, what do I think it's about? Oh, I actually wrote a note of my like thought process of it. I, I honestly think that it's about, um, don't look at the back of my notes. <laughs> I honestly think it's about the kind of, I, I think we've talked about this before and I feel like I've, one day I'm gonna say it and it's gonna be right, but it feels like this kind of tug of war between like manage and art, like management and artists, like somebody who's like doing a thing and someone who's like over it, t- trying to tell you what to do, basically. And, that, I, and that's definitely on track with Dream Theater. They have had a lot of issues with their executive... Micromanaging? You know, rec- record, record label telling them what to do and what to say. And I think, you know, that probably would track to some degree. I, I'm sure there's a bit of that in there. Frustration with the music business in general. Yeah, but it like that kind of thing in general is what earned it. That theme is really what I think of it as being, like somebody trying to control the... Um, the me, the I in the song, in the lyrics, uh, and the I being like, no, I am myself. <laughs> the you know, as I am is the title. It's just about kind of. Um, I think it's about allowing yourself to be yourself, despite all outward sources yeah. telling you to. In do In a different. general sense, for sure. Yeah. Like most, I would say every rock band worth their salt has written a song about their frustrations and working in the music business mm-hmm. and not being able to express themselves the way they want to express it. You think about it, music is art and an expression of oneself, right? So there's, there is that, that friction between wanting to express yourself with your art, but then also this is a business and mm-hmm. people need to make money. Mm-hmm. And you know, <laughs> financially there's a right way and wrong way to do things sometimes. Yeah. And, yes. you know, and Dream Theater has explored that subject before mm-hmm. a few times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we think back to their 1997 album, Falling Into Infinity, where the record label was at its most tyrannical. Mm-hmm. And uh, even Mike Portnoy, their drummer, wrote a song about it being just sick of it. Yeah, I remember that specifically. It's like, oh, I guess I've said it and it's been right. It's been very obvious. But sometimes like, yeah. So what is it about then? If it's not, it, I mean, it sounds like it's just tangentially about the things I said. As I am was partially, at least partially. I, I think what this, you know, the topics you're discussing are valid, and that's probably feeding into the, the sentiments. But it was partially inspired by Dream Theater's summer tour with Queensryche and Fate's Warning, which Mike Portnoy described as, quote, an irksome series of shows. <sighs> they did not have a good time. I mean, they did it for two months, though. You could have stopped at any point. Well, I guess if you sign a deal, maybe. 
an agreement. And sell tickets. That's fair. According to Portnoy, Queensryche's new drummer, Mike Stone, who had only been in the band for a short time before this and really hadn't done a lot of big stuff before that, you know, so he was kind of an unknown. Whereas mm-hmm. John Petrucci had been in a relatively successful band for 15 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Mike Stone tried to give John Petrucci tips on playing guitar. You know, don't they specifically have a song that's like, if you can't play this song, you can't be, you can't, you can't keep up with us. You that can't. was for a drummer position. Yes. It was like a test. Yeah. But, but I mean, they have that song. So it's true. Yeah. I was like, Petrucci doesn't need tips to play guitar. Exactly. He's, that's what I'm like, saying. He's long. Oh, been cons- my brain, you're saying guitar and I'm here. I'm picturing drums. I'm so sorry. He's long been considered one of the greatest guitar players ever. Yeah. On the scene. You know, yeah. like technically proficient. Anyway, uh, Mike Portnoy said, quote, he would give John Petrucci tips. This is coming from a hired gun who hasn't done anything in his career and he's giving John tips. I find that to be the most insulting thing I've ever heard. So they were all probably like really bitter about this. Yeah. And it's all in this song. Mm. Did nobody in Kringsreich, it was Kringsreich, right? Queensreich. Did nobody in Queens write? Did nobody in QR like get? I was like, get your man. Like that is your your hired guy. Can you please? Yeah, I was like Jeff Tate. What are you doing? Right. Like, Jeff Tate also has his own bit of issues as uh, well. Who's the singer in Queensrÿche? Mm. Uh, yeah, Queensrÿche was also pretty volatile. Well, there was. It was funny. There was there at one point in time, like in the late two thousands, there were two Queensrÿches. Oh yeah, I remember one us with one with Jeff Tate the singer and one with all the uh, the rest of them. <laughs> Guns and Roses, sort of. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, like even though Dream Theater had gone through a lot to get uh, their Jordan Rudis as their final keyboarder and stuff like that, they've they are one of the most stable bands we've ever talked about. Like their core membership for, for doesn't this, really change. This period, yeah, for sure. Mm. Well, I think now the lineup now has been a more stable lineup than the one that wrote this song oh okay now you know it's been 10 years Mm -hmm. oh it's like 12 years yeah it's been 12 years since they've finalized their lineup that is today Mm -hmm. but uh before that this was the most stable lineup yeah 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 which is yeah Mm -hmm. where i'm like they're state what are you doing (laughs) so what uh you know any any lyrics that stuck out to you that really sold that theme frustrated with the biz (laughs) <laughs> I think that this was also one of those um, I wish I had done this but this was the only way I could do it uh, I think there was a lot in this album and in the ne- in the next one we'll talk about that was just like pretty poet there was like lines that was like Ooh. yeah oh, before you jump in the, the, the line the opening stanza the opening verse of the song really it's so, like this I think this verse came directly from the Queen's Rack tour yeah. Don't tell me what's in. Tell me how to write. Don't tell me how to write. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me how to win. This fight isn't your life. It isn't your right to take the only thing that's mine. Don't tell me what's in. Tell me how to write. Don't tell me how to win. This fight isn't your life. It isn't your right to take the only thing that's mine. Cruising out of time. Sorry, I'll don't try to read between the lines. I 
guitar playing. <laughs> you have a family. So I'm pretty sure uh, that that verse in particular was like, he is directly addressing uh, Mr. Stone of Queensryche. Mm-hmm. Hey, you don't tell me how to write. Yeah. It's my songs. Okay, Sonny. This is mine. Yeah. I, um, when I was reading this, like, even as I'm looking what I wrote in the lyric or like what I commented on, the first line is don't tell me what's in. And I circled the word in and I put hip, which, yes. which, so like, as you were saying like, oh, it's about this. I was like, oh, I guess I really did feel, but I like related that. I knew it was related to somebody like butting in, in the way that they couldn't. And I just automatically go management. And because that could, I know that what that their could history be is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why don't you make something a little bit more radio friendly? Like it's in right now. It is in right now. I just thought like it like it is very much just kind of like somebody is just done. You're just done being micromanaged. You're done being like told, hey, da da da. When you're like, I have my own thoughts and processes and the ways I would prefer to do things, and it gets the job done in a more than efficient way. You know, we are coming off of two critically acclaimed albums mm-hmm. that both sold more than any of our other albums before Mm -hmm. this you know don't tell me you know what to do i think it's so interesting because there is definitely a way to like talk to a fellow guitarist or a fellow anyone without making it seem like you're like oh you should like i there's a difference between like oh i've been doing this new thing that i really enjoy like have you have you done this before or blah 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 or what's your trip and that's different than like oh, you know, that is pretty old school. You need to be doing it like this. You yeah. should do it like this. It just sounds better like this. Like those are the same conversation. The tone and the respect are very different. We're, we're getting only one side of the story. This is you true. Know? I don't know how this exchange happened, but mm-hmm. the way they describe it, it sounds like it was very patronizing or, mm-hmm. or very... Uh, condescending? Condescending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can, Yeah, I think it's so hard. You're right. We only have one side of the story because I, I think also... Sometimes, like, it's very possible that the person did it like that. But also, sometimes people just come off bad. Like, they don't make great first impressions or they just don't realize that they're being rude. I should look um, up some interviews with this guy. See? Just to see. Yeah. He, he <laughs> see might have addressed like, this controversy, honestly. Ah, I'm very curious. We can look it up. Report back later. Maybe. Um, I really like the line, like, towards the end of this uh, first portion before the bridge into the chorus which is don't try to read between the lines are clearly defined uh and even before knowing this i was just like oh that's a really good line because it makes me think about how like boundaries right like the lines are clearly defined right so this idea of like don't read between anything like there's nothing subtle but i'm clearly defining where i begin and or i end and you begin like do not cross this line i was just like oh That's good. Don't cross that crooked step. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say my uh, first note uh, about the song when the the lyrics started was it felt like an like an in sync vocal cadence, like how he they're talking. I was hey, just like, tell me how to burn. Yeah, it just felt very much like bye bye or like something in in that like realm. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, there's something about the the way they're singing the cadence in which the uh, what in which he is singing that's just like mm, it's very pop. <laughs> well, this was this was the I don't even know if they released them as singles at this point because mm-hmm. Dream Theater was at this point just kind of an album band. Mm-hmm. But like this is the the radio. This was intended to be the radio song. Ah, you know, yeah, it's, okay. It's, the short, it's it's not the shortest song in the album, but it's the most radio friendly. I like the shortest song on the album. It isn't radio friendly. <laughs> it's too short. But yeah. Yeah, I think like 
the the bridge. I, I was like, I don't have a lot to say on the the words in the bridge. I just like what he did here, where it says, "I've been trying to justify you, right? Justify as mm-hmm. in, you know, you know, you feel justified, right? In the end, I will just defy you." Yeah. <laughs> It was really good. I also it was like it was like mm. I also entered that. So that's a good play on like, words, right there. Mm, Justify mm. and just defy. Yeah, I I like like especially knowing the circumstances, the context. Uh, I like it, like especially knowing the context uh, of why the song was written. Because when I was reading it, I was just like, oh, I'm trying to like defend like your actions. I'm trying to justify the things that you're saying, the things that you're doing. But in the end. You're too much, and I'm just yeah. going to go against. What? Yeah, I was like, you, the way I think that maybe you know, explain. You know, that, that is an interesting look into human psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, if it depend, like depending on how someone comes at you with advice or uh, anything, mm-hmm. feedback, right? If it comes out wrong, that you know, you you will respond by justifying what's being told, right? You know, so there's a. I don't know. Just psychologically, we we respond to feedback in interesting ways, and yeah. I think you know, you have to give feedback in such a way where someone is going to internalize it and take yeah. it, you know, and not defy it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's in any any kind of like conversations and interactions we have. Like, you have to present it in a way so the person you're talking to can hear it. Yeah, and that's a skill as well. Yeah, you know? Mike Stone, maybe he just you know, he just playing it with his with his boys in the garage band. He yeah. never dealt with professionals before. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about this man. That's fair. It's just like everybody has egos. You just, but there are definitely people out there, like not talking about this man, but there's just people out there that just do not care or do not understand and refuse to learn. Listen, okay, so there's a there was a big controversy in the wrestling world uh, this past year. That's a different podcast. I know. No, hold on. Uh, <laughs> there is a a. Oh yeah, that stuff. <laughs> There is there were two major stars in the promotion All Elite Wrestling. There was CM Punk, who is a legend. You know he's been in the business for over twenty years. And then there was the current world, the then current world champion, Hangman Adam Page. Right, and Adam Page is a young guy. He uh, could say young buck. He he he, he was a hung buck. <laughs> um, and what happened was an interviewer, someone interviewed Adam Page and said, "Hey, you have all of these like." legends in the locker room you know you're a young guy you're you're the world champion right now like what are you what kind of advice do you take from some of the legends have been there in the locker room for so many years and he's like you know i'll be honest with you i just do my own thing i don't really listen to people you know it's like i'm world champion for a reason and i i don't know if he was like doing a bit like that Mm -hmm. was his character talking but cm punk took that literally and called him out big time on tv unscripted uh and then during press interviews just went off on him because he felt so disrespected Mm -hmm. by what adam page said in that interview yeah and and so i'm like listen there's ego is a big part of this yeah you know and people internalize statements like that you Mm -hmm. know and they take it to heart yeah you got to be careful and in the show in show business yeah music wrestling tv movies egos are bigger than normal yeah here's the thing Yes, but also no. I just I'm like there are people in my non-famous life that have egos that I feel like are just as big. Yeah, me thing, too. Me too. The thing is, 
they don't have a platform. Someone with a platform and a big ego, <laughs> problematic. <laughs> In my line of business, there are people with platforms and big egos, so it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> the song. In the chorus, it says, To those who understand, I extend my hand. To the doubtful, I demand, take me as I am. You know, sounds a little teenagerish. Just accept me for who I am. So do you think they like, because they wrote for three weeks, then started recording, then stopped recording, and then came back, added a song? Well, I I know that Dream Theater, like, they write the music first and then add lyrics later. Oh, yeah, fair. So... That's the could, easier way to do it. I've heard from all of my musicians. It fans. could be they they wrote the songwriting in those three weeks where they they wrote the song and then lyrics were applied mm. during recording. Mm-hmm. That could be, or he could have had written some of this stuff already. So some of these feelings were lingering, and then Queensrÿche just activated. You're like, ah, I can really sing it. I think okay. So I wrote like a big note on this pre-knowing what the song is about. So it doesn't necessarily really apply in the same way. And I guess I want to talk about what I think about it as the song, knowing the context, and then also not when I didn't know the context. Okay. And it's uh, after the first chorus, it's still running up that hill. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's still running uphill, swimming against the current. I wish I weren't so effed. Oh, naughty word, by the way. Yes. This is a unique dream theater album where there's a lot of naughty words they it's really earned R. that parental advisory sticker this time yeah that you don't hear that in a lot of dream theater songs they don't drop the f-bomb lightly no so he was really upset especially john he's very upset yeah i feel like i'm stuck lost in a sea of mu- me- mediocrity So, oh, that's so rude. Yeah. So obviously knowing the context, I was like, Ugh. who's he calling out, man? I'm like Ooh. thinking about like he's in a so he's he's clearly talking about the metal scene at the mm-hmm. time. And he's like, I am stuck in a sea of mediocrity. And I was like, who's he talking about? Is he talking about Limp Bizkit? Is he talking about like Lamb of God? Who's he talking about? You know, love and affection. We're talking about egos <laughs> as well. Egos. Right? Yeah. Where I'm just kind of like, it's very much. I don't know why I keep referencing this, but it's very much gives me Moby <laughs> Woodstock 99 emerging artist attitude, you know? He, 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 he had done nothing. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But it is like that 
oh, who are these other people? And like, you're right, right? Like John uh, and Dream Theater in a, as a whole, you have been in the scene for a very long time. You've scrapped, you've gotten here. Like you were able to make your dreams happen. I mean, you did also go to a college of music. You had a little bit of a leg up, but like b- despite all that, like you chose a direction to go that is not like easy. Yeah. Um, And you earned a lot of your things, right? But then to look around and be like, gosh, the mediocrity, like people are, are still also working out like, you really love Gene Theory. The first album was good. It definitely was, but they've gotten better, right? Like, yeah. and it is just kind of like Creed's like Reich has been around a while and they have things. But that kind of like looking around at everyone's like, hey, people are in different stages. Like you were there at the beginning. You were there somewhere in the middle when you guys were going through things and stuff like that. And so it's like one of those things where I'm like, you're it's your feelings. You get to feel whatever you feel. But like that he, they were so offended that it was like, and everybody around us is mediocre and you think you can tell us, you know? I, I like, have oh, more on that, but I don't want to take away from your thoughts. Oh, we could talk. What do you mean? Okay. So then I think it's the next verse mm-hmm. or coming up. It says, it, it, this is in quotes, right? Slow down. You're thinking too much, which I think is someone telling that's something he heard from somebody like mm-hmm. another guitar player. It's like, you're playing too fast, man. You oh. know, slow down. Where is your soul? You know, and and that is a that is a criticism I've heard of the virtuoso guitar player style that Dream Theater goes for. Like John mm-hmm. Petrucci, he he played like a lot of guitar noodling, a lot of jamming. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he he shows off a very flashy, right? He, he's like because the man can play. Mm-hmm. Like he goes crazy. His solos are insane, right? But I've heard criticism like, oh man, he's got no soul. You know, it's just kind of a soulless like. You know, there's no vibe, you know, and I've, I've heard like some guitar players like I've heard some of my friends complain that the guitar playing in Dream Theater is soulless because it's all all flash. You know, it's mm. it's all style, no substance. Mm. And so I'm sure he heard. That's why I think that's in quotes, because he heard that mm-hmm. and he's just like res- wants to respond to it. Yeah. And he says, you can't you cannot touch the way I play mm-hmm. or tell me what to say. You're on the way of all that I believe in. Yeah, I um, I think that's rude. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he's definitely heard it. If uh, if you've heard it, there are definitely people audacious enough to just say that kind of stuff to someone's face, and that sucks. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I can say. Like that does suck. I think that like it makes sense that it's just kind of like a clap back because he's getting this a lot, where yeah. he's just like, oh, okay, right? Like you're saying. You're saying I'm going too fast. I don't have a soul. Like, well, maybe the rest of you just mediocre. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. To, yeah, 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 yeah. Go, going. Th- okay. Like, do you mind if I talk more about like where music was at this time? No, go ahead. Um, I remember. So Dream. Uh, so Metallica released an album in 2003. It's mm-hmm. not one of my runners up. I don't like this album very much. It's called <laughs> Saint Anger. And the, Metallica kind of abandoned a lot of the songwriting techniques that they had been known for in favor mm-hmm. of a more like stripped down just straight like just kind of no frills metal music that mm-hmm. they thought was going to appeal to the metal crowd of 2003 mm-hmm. no guitar solos or very few right and that was a big sticking point for a lot of like longtime metallica fans and especially metallica fans like me who discovered them just after 2003 mm-hmm. so i remember listening to eddie trunk who was a, uh, a radio dj he had a radio show on sirius xm and he was a big metal fan he was like the, he's like the metal guy right mm-hmm. And he was explaining historically that St. Anger was a failure because it came out where Metallica was trying to anticipate where metal would be in 2003. And they saw that there was 
a lot of like metal core bands, new metal, guitar solo and and like mu- like you know the the that style like the guitar solos and actually like you know playing you know mm-hmm. instrumental instrumentality was not a priority it was more about the aggression and and okay. just the power right so they were trying to anticipate that and you know fall into line with that so they released saint anger no guitar solos and stuff like that the problem is within two years metal would metal fans would revert back to liking you know uh guitar solos and virtuosity and stuff like that because guitar hero came out mm. <laughs> guitar hero the first guitar hero came out in 2005 yeah and i think a lot of metal fans and rock fans coming you know they all coming from playing guitar hero and like people loved guitar again yeah and so but it just so happens like in the in the early 2000s good guitar playing was not a priority as it had been mm. so that I think it also might inform John Petrucci's mentality on this because he's like, I'm swimming in a sea of mediocrity. <laughs> I'm of- over here playing like hard to play guitar solos as I've always done. Mm-hmm. And everyone else can't touch me because they're all too busy, you know, trying to ride the wave. Mm. Because they, there's like, they can't play what I play. And that's yeah. why they don't. <laughs> I mean, fair is fair, bro. <laughs> fair is fair. And that's why, and like, the guitar solo in this song that comes is probably the, like, I, as I listened to it the last time, I listened to the, 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 the lyrics and everything. I'm reading the lyrics. I'm, he, I'm feeling what he's saying. Mm-hmm. That guitar solo in this song sounds like the biggest middle finger. It's the, I, I've never heard a guitar solo, I've never heard a guitar solo sound more like a middle finger than the, in this song. Yeah, like, literally, if you look at my notes... There's just where the solo hits. And I just put, I just put like six solo. Listen to this. He's not stopping. He's going to keep going. Like he's, I feel like he's indulging in this song specifically because he is sticking it to everyone else Yeah. and say, hey, I'm going to play a freaking guitar solo to prove you wrong. Mm. I can do it. You match me, bro. Yeah. Like I'm not coming down to your level. I think that there is something like a specific energy from from Dream Theater that we've talked about before where they don't necessarily, they're like, this is what we want to make, right? So we're going to do it. Remember when... You played the clip of Howard Stern, I think, being like, oh, this is good. Oh, organs, get that out yeah, of here. And they're like, Howard Stern, yeah. Yeah. And he was like, they're, but they play what they want, like, regardless. And even even to the point of pushing against their label and making the things that, that they want to, that is passionate to them. And for someone to like say, like, it's so soulless. It was like, literally, he's following what his soul wants to do. How is that? This is probably the most artful guitar solo that I can think yeah. of. Yeah, it actually has a point and like fits in with the message of the song. I think when you were when you said like some people think it's solo soulless, I was thinking about the solo because I was like I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but I was like I marked other musical moments I liked in the other things, but this one like stopped me and I like pointed out on my paper. I was like, holy crap, that's pretty sick. I like that. This is also why the song didn't feel super long. Like it was good. Um, so I think that that's. It's amazing how people will just try to tear you down when you're when you're living your best life, you know? Yep. That's all I have to say about Trina Thought. You had any other lingering thoughts? No. Nah. 
Was it good? It good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. The, uh, the the aggression don't stop. In fact, it's it's going to reach a fever, fever pitch with this next song. I'm actually very curious to th- hear about what you think of this next I song. I literally just wrote dang <laughs> on top of my paper. That song is called Honor Thy Father. Honor Thy Father. The song was written by Mike Portnoy, the drummer. Mm. He was feeling Something? some stuff. Emotions. Well, what, do you, what do you think the song's about? Uh, a deadbeat parent? <laughs> sort of. Why? What makes you What makes you say that? It's called Father. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah. Okay, you got to think about this. So, okay, he's talking about his his dad. You think? Yeah. I, I was gonna. I I said parent. It could be anyone, right? But I was like, no. There's a lot of he and you, like male pronouns, when we're talking about this character that is messing everything up. So I just didn't want to say deadbeat dad. <laughs> um, I like. There was a lot of different things in here that I was like, oh, 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 oh. I like at some point I was like, are we? Is this a? There's a lot. I'm jumping. There's yeah, just a line go for it. it. There's a line in it that says you took advantage of an outreached hand and twisted it to meet your need. And I was like, like it made me after because I read it twice and uh, once alone and the once with music. And um, I was like, is this like a single parent where it's just kind of like, oh, woe is me. It's really hard. OK, that sounded rude. Single parenting is very difficult. I'm not trying to woe is me, but some people take advantage uh, like and, you know, of the help that is allowed to them and just like shove their children their child onto someone else and be like oh yeah uh," like taking advantage of things like that because it's so much like it felt like there was only one parent being talked about so i was like is this a single father okay so this is not about his father he loves his father yeah i would i was like a father i wasn't saying a specific like he wrote his he he when his dad died uh mike portnoy wrote a song about how much he loved his dad i remember that yeah yeah yeah. and that that was 2009 Oh, there was we, definitely... we listened to it at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In yeah our, on our free time. We just haven't talked about it here. Yeah. Anyway, but Honor Thy Father is written about another person in his life. And there's a particular line in the song that could illuminate who he's talking about. So the, the, the verse, watch where you walk. Don't cross the what? Crooked step. stepfather stepfather yeah don't cross the crooked step yeah yeah. Uh, so when asked about what inspired him to write this song he stated in like a chat room quote i'm not very good at writing love songs so i decided to write a hate song (laughs) so apparently he hates his stepfather Mm. i don't know the details but you learn a little you can glean a little bit from Mm -hmm. the lyrics in this song yeah uh, gosh, he's so mad. He's this is very mad. one of the angriest songs, the you know, true, true anger I've mm-hmm. ever heard. He is so mean in this song. He, he's, he's very far from kind. You were correct. You pretend I was your own and even believed that you loved me. I never loved you. But we're always threatened by some invisible bloodline that only you could see. What's <laughs> 
Yeah, so I here's the thing, right? Like, I there was a part of me that knew that it, oh, maybe that's what S parent means, not single parent, but step parent, because I wrote S parent because I didn't have enough <laughs> room. Um, I like there was something I was like, this is about a father figure. This is about like I was like, I'm not gonna say it's his dad, um, but there were things that I like highlighted that I was like, eh, you know, the part where you wrote like you pretend that uh, you pretend I was your own, and I put there's obviously a story there like what is that and then invisible bloodline i uh underline that said this is a boundary which yep yeah invisible bloodline that only you can see so it's a boundary like i mean you're not really my kid you're just my wife's kid like (laughs) yikes um i had thoughts did you have thoughts go ahead um I just highlighted I, like insults, honestly. Oh, like, you did. Well, yeah, yeah. I was like he, 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 he buries this man. Yeah, I didn't necessarily highlight insults. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, let's like look at the other things that make me think of other stuff. Uh, well, one, the whole second, the second verse, uh, I just put what in the new metal. This is very, it like feels very like new metal. In again, the cadence of what voice. he's rapping, you yes. talk about you took advantage of an outstretched hand. Yeah, we yeah. should listen to that. Yeah, do it. Yes, he was indeed. I believe that is very much still trying to do the heavy metal or the the new metal thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's trying to rap. Yeah. I, I would describe that as trying to rap. Yeah. Trying. <laughs> like, I don't even. OK, I don't pursue unless it's like Jay-Z on a track. I don't consider new metal rap. I consider it just like talking. <laughs> it's just talking in beat kind of thing, I which is. So. Huh? It, it depends. Like, yeah. I, no, no. You, I would describe what Rage Against the Machine do. They rap. Fair. I like there are some there are some groups that do do it right, yeah. but I think in general this thing, uh, <laughs> this was not a rap. Yeah, he was trying to. Yeah, rap. I just it's just a different thing for me. But like people can call it rap if that's if it's called rap rock, that is what the sound is. But to me, it's just kind of like it's da 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 da. It's just not anyway. Um, here, like again, having context, the one part is still like sketchy to me, but uh, all of it is really sketchy. <laughs> the uh. The you took advantage of an outstretched hand. Like I don't know how old uh, he was when his stepdad came into his life, but the idea of just kind of like, oh, I'm looking for a father figure. I'm looking for someone. Well, because he loved his dad, and he still has a relationship with his dad, obviously. But like having another person in your home half the time you're in that home is like, or you know, uh, a lot, and just start just being like, oh, well, I'm gonna have a relationship with this person, and then having someone take advantage of that, you know, and that can mean a lot of things like i'm imagining like a six an eight a ten year old um and if you win the loyalty of a child especially that young there's a lot of stuff they just will do because they trust you and they have innate trust in you and that's scary and um the last part of uh the first the last part of one of these verses i'll see her when she's older i'll bounce her in a knee i just like ew what does that mean okay so he's probably i i took that as um mike portnoy that is a 
quote from the stepfather about Mike Portnoy's daughter. Like maybe okay. his stepfather doesn't, you know, kept saying, oh, yeah, I'll see your daughter. We'll, we'll see her eventually. And like he just kept putting it off. Like mm. it's like you don't care about me and my family. Yeah. Like because I mean, M- Mike Portnoy had a daughter at this point. So, yeah, you know, this sounds like a little, you know, hey, when are you're you going to meet my baby? Yeah. You're <laughs> like not and, engaged in my life whatsoever. Well, yeah. did his mom meet her? It was just, yeah, it's like I don't know the yeah. details. All we don't I need hear- to. Like you, Mike, you put what you put on the page and we're not digging more. But yeah. like. Mm-hmm. He's, and then the next verse, like, he's so mad. You ungrateful fool. You'll go to your grave a sad and lonely man. The door is now closed on your pathetic little plan. Yeah, he's not happy. And I mean, that's fair, right? Like when you get to a place. Well, okay, like when you're an adult, we have good relationships with our parents right true yeah and uh this is not necessarily where we are right but i know for me there was definitely a a a rough time in my early to mid 20s where me and my dad were not in a good place our relationship was not good it was very very bad (laughs) and there were like conversations i would have like about these different things and not just me right like both like both of my sisters had a really really rough relationship with my dad and there were conversations i would have with him was like look bro you are you were very much this like you are closing doors there there are things where it's just kind of like yeah um, I don't need you at my wedding if this is how, and obviously he was at our wedding. He walked me down the aisle. We did some of the traditional stuff because our relationship was mended by then. But like, this is a very real feeling where just yeah. like when you're an adult and you're able to be like, no, no, right? Like, because there comes a time like your parent is always going to be your parent, but at some point you are both adults and there are just some things, right? Like I, I even with I'm trying to remember who in my family listens to this with some older members of my family that like I have to like remind them that I am in my 30s and yes they are always older than me and I will I will show respect but there's some ways it's like no you don't get to make that decision for me I'm a grown woman and having to be in this place to be able to be like okay we are on the same level in a society you know like but to also have that like culture play but sometimes there they comes a play a time when you're just like nope you're toxic. We're not doing this. I have never reached this point in my life where I'm going to cut off someone completely like with this much aggression. But I've seen it in my family where mm-hmm. it's like, yo, that relationship, it's done. It's severed. Yeah. Those people can't be in the same room together. They yeah. refuse to be. And like it takes a lot to get there. So there's a lot in my family that does that, too. I think we're too temperate. <laughs> yeah, we're too. I was like, hey. I was like, I can, I, I don't think I'm capable of this much hate anymore, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not, but I'm, because I'm capable of a lot of boundaries, there are definitely people who like turn that into like, no, what are you talking about? Blah, blah. And I was like, hey, this is my boundary. You either meet it or don't be here. And then they leave. They eventually come back because I'm like, I'm not mad about this. I'm just going to have a boundary. Yeah. But. Mm. I don't know if this is a chorus or not, but like the, the verse how can you ever sleep a wink at night pretending that everything's all right and have the nerve to blame this mess on me? Right. 
right? I was like, what what mess is he talking about? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Also, that 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 verse mess is uh, changed at the last time because they they repeat this. Oh yeah, 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 a yeah. Couple times. Another naughty word. Mess is replaced with another naughty word, which I think <laughs> is kind of funny. Like the song culminates in him like getting so angry that he curses. Yeah. Don't blame this blank on me. Never in my life have I seen someone so ignorant to the damage he has done. And of course, the 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 insult to all insults. You're the rotted root in the family tree. That's <laughs> I was like that that he pulling no punches. Yeah, that is the like you know, I, I it hits me. Yeah, you're the rotted root in the family tree. Yeah, as a different writer, I kind of wish he had said branch because root means you're more important to it because the tree needs a but like if you had a rotted branch it was like we can just cut you off <laughs> you prune you yeah but you can also cut off a rotted root but like yeah no honestly that i was just like Oof. i like line underline that i was just like that's just so that's strong it's so strong it's such a strong thing it's almost shakespearean <laughs> i think even there's a, a different line that you like skipped over that i was like oh okay it's on and on and on it goes it's so easy to run away with nothing in tow and i was like That line specifically, I was like, oh, okay. That's that's the one. Like, all of these are pretty insulting, but that's the one that I was like, all right, are you okay, dude? Like, that was the one that was, that is the most insulting thing here. That's the most, like, you're being read for filth. <laughs> Just like, oh, it's easy to run away when you don't have anything, when you don't care about anything, when you don't make connections, when you don't, like, ugh. Yep. Ugh. I will say um, something at the beginning of this, which like we passed, that is one of those things where it's like, oh, I read it. It reads differently with context, but is the like second couplet of the at the top of the song, which is uh, that a parent's world would revolve always around their son or daughter. The way I read it before, like outside of knowing the context, I was just like, I don't I don't with that line you know mm -hmm. like just in general it's very much uh -huh. um talking about the trend of uh like i wanted to talk about this and it doesn't have anything to do with this but i'm gonna shoehorn in and then talk about what it makes me think in the thing this uh idea that when you become a parent you lose your identity and it's not necessarily an idea it's just a thing that happens yeah right? like I, you, I, I see what you're saying yeah and it happens a lot more, not only, but a lot more predominantly with women when they become moms rather than like, you know, because there's a lot of the like the primary parent load that is put on women more than anything else. And then it's just kind of about how you you have even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like it's a burden, you do have to give up a lot of your 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 personal dreams, your personal goals, your personal things just because it's impossible to be a decent parent i'm not even saying a good parent a decent parent and then be like kind of obsessed with yourself but like people don't expect you to have any like oh how's your but well they don't ask you about anything else you don't talk about anything else or because like it is all consuming but this idea that like 
yeah but a parent's world should revolve it's like nope <laughs> like we need we need breaks like even yeah. in a marriage i love you but my light my world does not revolve around you and your world doesn't revolve around me we are a big part of each other's world but like i don't we don't go around and people don't go like oh it's rod and his wife it's jess and her husband oh that's jess's husband like like you don't have a name yeah. right so i think outside of context it's just like oh, okay like this is one of those things where we really shouldn't <laughs> do that but in context of the song, it feels very much like a world the like a parent should be concerned with their son and daughter and what's going on with them and take precedence. But it seems like this person is uh, in like hand in hand with the like you take advantage of a, an outstretched hand. This person is more about them yeah <laughs> and not taking care of the needs of these kids or seeing to them or caring that it's more about where they are and what the kids can do for them right like which is also bad <laughs> yeah it was like the theme of the song seems to be that the 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 target of this hate is very selfish and self-centered mm -hmm. like it, it comes up again so you you mentioned the on and on and on it goes mm -hmm. part of the song they repeat that a couple times yeah. with different punctuations mm -hmm. and the one i highlighted was on and on and on it goes chauvinistic heartless selfish cold yep it's like he just hammered at home yep And then towards the end of the song, it says, expecting everyone to bow down and kiss your feet. Don't you see that respect is not a one-way street? Blaming everyone for all that you've done wrong. I'll get my peace of mind when you hear this song. Like, oh, I wrote a song about you. It's you like always very, wanted that, It was right? like, Yeah, it was like, you, you're a selfish guy. You want to hear everyone talk about you, right? Well, here's what I have to think about you. Mm. So it was like, there's definitely a at least a perceived selfishness. Yeah. And just kind of like a narcissistic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were also clips in the song. Yes, but I, can, I can play them. Yes, I couldn't hear them clearly because I was doing uh and it, my my sheets didn't have them like my lyrics don't have them so i was like we'll just do this together yeah audio fun so yes uh a lot of mike portnoy songs have a lot of samples he samples movie clips and tv clips and stuff and he plays them you know in the song and it's a lot of like you know words and phrases that kind of sell the theme and the feelings of the song mm -hmm. so let's give that a listen this is a regret There's a lot of phrases that are like, you deserve to die alone for yeah. what you've done. 
Yeah, you can't have them back. Or yeah. just a lot. It's like, we're family. You're not my family, not anymore. <laughs> Stuff like that. I have a list of the credits for that. Uh, this song samples uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 film Magnolia, the 1986 film At Close Range, the 1980 film Ordinary People, the 2001 film The Royal Tenenbaums, and the TV series Oz. Huh. Oh, about prison? <laughs> yeah. The only song that I've... The only movie of that list that I've seen is The Royal Tenenbaums, which is a film about, in some part, an estranged family and a, and a father uh, that uh, is rejected by his family <laughs> due to the things, things he, did, he did, his selfishness. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of that stuff is just <laughs> like brand. probably speaking for Mike. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a lot of like talk of regret. Like I regret all the time I put into this, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Like you, you, you effing this, you effing that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> he big mad. He big mad. <laughs> big mood, big mad. Ooh. But I mean, I think he gets his point across the crooked step. Don't cross that crooked step. Is that all you have to say about this? Yep. <laughs> Can I play one more piece of audio fun before yeah. we move on to the next song? So uh, musically, this is a heavy metal album, purposefully, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that is that, so Dream Theater has a keyboard player, Jordan Rudis. He's very good. And he is... Typically known for his, you know, big orchestral synth sounds or, you know, like very like, you know, 70s synth leads and stuff like mm -hmm. that, you know, very. But the thing is, typically synth other than, you know, other than, you heard a little bit like the orchestral sounds, you know, to kind of add power, you know, and, and importance to what was being said. But a lot of the time, like you're sitting there with like, what's a keyboard going to add to these heavy metal songs? So Jordan Rudis programmed his own sound to fit the heavy metal songs. And he played this on his Metallica mm -hmm. cover stuff. And it, it's, it has its own name. It's called the snarling pig. Oh, uh, so I want to play just a, a brief example of the snarling pig. Okay. Just Isolated or in the song? In, in the song. Okay. The, do 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 like so it, it it he you can find compilations on YouTube of him just using the snarling pig a lot and it's kind of like when when it hits the higher when it hits the lower registers and it's very bassy you can hear like I don't know it sounds like a little pig you know and then the higher registers sound like a squealing pig so that's what he calls it the snarling pig and it's what he uses when you know he's basically he's the rhythm guitar player essentially mm -hmm. adorable yeah. adorable little snarling pig but that is. Honor thy father. <laughs> you feeling good? Feeling pretty honored. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, yeah, that was a lot. So we're gonna take a, we're gonna take a little break. We're gonna we're gonna reel things back, Are mellow we? out a little bit music musically. Okay, musically. Okay, the emotions will remain high. Okay, yeah. But you know, we're gonna slow it down a little bit. I. I I just want you to know as we go into the song, I like most of my notes are just highlighting lines and going hmm. Mm. So the next song, it's the shortest song on the album, and it's kind of the come down before oh. the big finale. I thought we were doing this one. Oh no! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then now, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be chill. It's gonna be chill, kids. There are no notes on the song. It's just pretty. Let's go. Let's go crooning. The song is called "Vacant." Play the whole thing, Jeeves.
you. <laughs> so the song is like musically very sad. Like it's come down. And I, I like listened to it. I was like, what the, when I last listened to this, I was like, that cello, man. I was <laughs> like, is cello the, the, the saddest instrument? You know, like I was like, I, I, you know, I was like, I can't think of a sadder instrument than the cello. The oboe. Right. Would you agree with me? No, the oboe. The oboe. Okay, so one thing, this, the, the cello in the song is played by uh, musician Eugene Friesen. But uh, I Googled it. I said, what is the saddest instrument, right? And I got a poll from the Empirical Musicology Review. Mm -hmm. And they said, participants judge the human voice as the most frequently used sad instrument. That's fair. But Whoa. I was like, that sounds like a cop-out. Cello was number two. <laughs> followed by violin and piano. Oboe. Oh, and, and viola. Sorry. Viola. Cello, viola, violin, piano. Top five. No. Mostly string. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You hear about a crying violin. No, no. But yeah, cello. Sad. Wind <laughs> instruments are the saddest. <laughs> Any idea on what this song's about? Um, Who's you? Hey, hey, you. Hey. <laughs> it's just. Hey, you. Hey, you. I'm right here. Conscience fading. Can't get through. It just feels like somebody is ODing. <laughs> mm. Oh. No, that's that's not okay. correct, but that's an interesting take. Yeah. Um, that's like what why why do you say that? Um, because your consciousness is fading and somebody can't get through, even though they're calling your name. Then you're confused, your head is swayed, your eyes are glazed, and I'm tearing up. Losing control, what can I do? Her vacant eyes, black holes, am I losing you? Is someone's mom dying? No. But I mean that that is like that's an interesting thought. That you you just I think that's all the lyrics in the song. Right? Yes, that is <laughs> that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's why I said play the whole thing, Jeeves. <laughs> uh do you want me to tell you or do you want to talk about what you thought of the song before? I like I li I literally have no notes on this because I was like, Oh, somebody's passing away. Mm. Um, oh, it feels like due to like uh, recreational drug use yeah. um, or maybe just like yeah that's what I was like I don't have any notes I think it's beautiful croony it's very short and the lyrics are saying a, a thing <laughs> so the lyrics to Vacant were inspired by singer James Labrie's daughter who mm. fell into a short coma after suffering a sudden unexplained seizure three days before her seventh birthday yeah Ch childhood seizures guys scary are terrifying yeah they're terrifying. Another reason we're not having kids. So that's one of those, like, I can only imagine being a father in a position where my my daughter 
just had a seizure. This never happened before. Just unexplained. Like, I don't know how, why this happened. And now she won't wake up. Yeah. Terrifying. No, it is. It's, it's very scary, especially when you like go to like doctors and people who are supposed to know and they don't have any answers. It's not great. That's why the the line is like, she's losing control. What can I do? Yeah. Like power, you know, know, complete powerlessness, you know. Can't put a bandaid on it. That's why I was like, you know, this album, whole album has a lot of like, you know, emotional truths. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, this is just as valid as Mike Portnoy's hate for his stepfather. Yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, earnest love for your daughter in her time of need. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the, the feeling of uselessness when you're not able to do anything like yeah i think because i think about when one of my nephews you know had a seizure and i was like i this isn't even my kid and i I love him i love my sister and i love those things but i was just like i'm having panic and fear and these different things and i that's not my kid i could not like it would be my the emotions i felt times forty five hundred thousand. like there's literally nothing you can do and i think who wrote this one? James Labrie, the okay. singer. Yeah. Because this, I was, I, by the way, I think this is the first time we've covered a song where the lyrics are written by him. Huh. First time. So <laughs> good, good, hey, good to have to you. Welcome to the show. Good, good to, to have, have you, James. He, he has some good songs. Yeah. He also has some of the worst songs <laughs> that they've ever done. This is not one of them. This is not one of them. This song's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. I love this song. Yes. I think um, that like, because I, cause I was wondering, because I was like, I don't, I didn't think it was my young who's fair christian <laughs> they, they I, I from what i understand you know petrucci my young and portnoy are all very religious mm-hmm. labrie is not yeah and so that kind of thing where i was sitting here and i was like yeah like there's nothing about there's like oh lord helpless and that's the only like reference to maybe a higher power but even in that um thinking through because i was thinking like when you, you feel so helpless you feel so there's nothing you can do and i was like except pray if you feel like there is a higher power that's yeah. why i was asking because i was like because if you don't even have that like i think to be yikes. Mo- for this man to be moved to pray mm-hmm. means a lot you know i think that that ev- that's a lot of evidence to how powerless he felt in that yeah moment. yeah and so that that's one of those things like it's even just a short line the whole song is short but because of that right like like there's so much packed into this that even with it being slow and melodic, it's um, probably the song that, at least from the ones we're talking about, that is the fullest. And that like, even without me having known context, I was like, I clearly get the emotion of somebody is not doing well and somebody else is watching. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm like, I've always connected to this song, not necessarily because of the lyrics. I don't know. It's just something about the way this song expresses itself, you mm-hmm. know, in such a real way. It's like I've always like held on to this song. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Uh, and I love the name of it. Vacant means something very different in the song. You know, mm-hmm. her vacant eyes, black holes. Right. Mm-hmm. Looking at someone in a coma like she's she's not home. Yeah. You know, it's horrifying, terrifying to me. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know, like the word vacant to me, like I, I hold on to that, too. Like there have been periods of my life where I'm just like you know, going through the motions, mm-hmm. you know, on we, if you, if you prefer, yeah. you know, and vacant is such a great word to describe how I feel sometimes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so I don't know. I, I like the song and the name mm-hmm. and, and, the, and that's the thing. It's like, I can't completely connect with what he's talking about. Cause I've never been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I still think this song is pretty universal. Yeah. 
I agree. It's not much to say other than that. No. I have good news, though. Uh, James Bree's daughter is okay. Yes. <laughs> she recovered. Uh, I have a quote from him. Her, his daughter's name is Chloe, by the way. Mm-hmm. While they, quote, while they were about to do a CAT scan, Chloe came out of it. It was a miracle. And never again did she have an incident with this type of situation. The doctors never did give us a full diagnosis as to what really happened. Quite honestly, I think they were just as baffled as us. Nothing before or since has ever left me feeling as distraught or helpless. Yeah. Good news, she is a perfectly healthy girl and singing her butt off. <laughs> so. Good. Yeah. Um, ugh. Even but. the doctors probably feel in this way. It's like, oh my gosh, we're powerless. What could we do? Yeah. To have the doctors, you know, you're a, fa- you're a parent and even the doctors are baffled. Probably added to his unease. Yeah. Ugh. Makes me feel worse, honestly. <laughs> oh. Uh, that's vacant. Haha. <laughs> good job. Is that a good break? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't feel like a break. Well, let's get breakneck speed into the next. Oh dear. Oh dear. The oh next dear. song. I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. It is a song called "In the Name of God." This one. Heavy Metal's back. Uh, this song was written by guitarist John Petrucci, mm. a religious man. And I feel like the name alone kind of tells you the song's going to be related to religion and, you know, one's relationship with faith and, and, and what one sees in the faith of others. It's not a hill song, guys. Kids. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but th- again, this was written by a Christian man who is confronting elements of spirituality uh, that he probably witnessed. Honestly, fair though. Yeah, and I was like, on it, like I'm like, this song pulls no punches, and I think some people might be, you know, some insecure Christians might see this and be like so blasphemous. And I was like, no, he's asking honest questions that most religious people should be asking. All religious people should be asking the questions and confronting the issues that he confronts in this song. Yeah. Because I even think the idea of like this is blasphemous is like he's not saying anything against God. He's saying about the acts of men. Right. But that's the thing. Like people, the whole point of the song is it's easy to glean Mm -hmm. when you read the lyrics. It's like this is a song about like the people who do horrible things in the name of God. Yeah. And for those people, they are doing God's will Mm -hmm. in their heads. That's what they think. Eh, Some of them just say it. Yeah, it was like some they of them know they're just not. legitimate grifters. They just say it. Yeah, like like televangelist grifters and stuff like that. Yeah. But there are other people who, you know, are true believers. God wants me to do this horrible act in his name. Yeah. Um, and if you defy me, it means you would defy God. Yep. Did you hear about that uh, that person in, I think it was Africa, who was claiming to be uh, Jesus Christ reborn and a lot of, like, got a lot of followers and people really like being like, oh, this is Jesus. And then they wanted to crucify him. Nope. <laughs> it happened two weeks ago. Well, there it was like that. That is a tale as old as time. It's yeah. someone claiming to be Jesus Christ or I am a new prophet. Um, and people follow that person. He's just a charismatic guy who, you know, everything, everybody from Charles Manson to 
even people in politics. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, the opening line is, how can this be? Why is he the chosen one? I'm sure he's talking in this point, the people who proclaim, proclaim themselves to be, you know, some kind of religious right, right. Ze zealot or, a, or a, a, you know, a savior or I'm a prophet. religious leader, a prophet. Saint gone astray with a scepter and a gun. <laughs> Boondock Tanks is all I'm thinking about now. I, I love the image of the scepter and the gun because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, like this song is reflecting on the relationship between religion and violence. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, in all of human history, those two things are very much intertwined. And you can think of countless historical and modern examples of where religion and violence intertwine. Yep. Plenty, plenty, plenty. Plenty. Too many. Too many. Too many. <laughs> Several. We'll get there eventually. Um, I just really quick am looking up uh what a scepter is. Like I know what a scepter is. Like it's just, oh, it's a it's a fancy staff. But was it ever like also something for Was you? there a scepter in the like in the tabernacle of, of the Lord? Because honestly, it's a long staff with a pokey thing at, at the bit, and like it could be a decorative involved, but is it basic is it was it first a weapon i don't know i was like there's 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 references to the scepter in in the bible like you know as early as genesis so the image of the scepter you know as being like a symbol of power yeah i know uh or i i, I definitely think that's true but i think like the idea sometimes there are just things that we as the western uh, world take and go like, oh, that's what this is. But it's like, that's not what it always was. Yeah, dictionary, doc, or just, you know, Google dictionary says, uh, a scepter is an ornamented staff carried by rulers on ceremonial occasions as a symbol of sovereignty. So it's like power. Okay. Well. <laughs> you know, ceremonial power, don't know. Ruling monarch. It's authority. So yeah, so I think even like looking at that when we're like holding a scepter and a gun, I think um, in the Western world, in America, we can definitely think of it as like, oh, it is a sign of like holiness or it's a relic or blah, blah, blah. But it's literally a sign of power. Yes. Um, And a gun is also a sign of power. Correct. It's just kind of, oh, we ascribe different meanings to both things, but they are very the same. One can kill you. The other one can probably too if you bludge get bludgeoned. The, the line in a verse that says, listen, when the prophet speaks to you, killing in the name of God, passion, twisting faith into violence in the name of God. Yeah. That was my first mm. faith into violence, twisting faith into violence. Like, I feel like that that's in a lot of ways the the thesis statement or the theme of this song. Right. 
-hmm. in particular, it is about people who commit violence because they have a passion for the the God they believe in. Yeah. I think it makes me think of people who who are violent and say like, well, this is what this is the God of the Bible, right? And I think about how it's like, no, the, the God of the Bible does enact justice, but even in that, he doesn't like, yeah, go willy-nilly and do these things. It's very much like, wait on me. I will do the work. I will do these things. And then when I need you, I, w I will like have you, right? Like I think about if we talk about Exodus, sorry, kids, <laughs> if you're not Christian, oh. we're going to have a conversation. Well, I was like, this um, song but, invites that, honestly. Yeah. So. But I think about like the story of Exodus where uh, God it comes up to Moses in this burning bush. is like, I have heard the cries of my people. Yo, go back and get them. He doesn't send him to be like, all right, now you're going to army. You're going to army up and you're kill all these people. It's like, no, I need you to be there to talk about it, to say like, hey, this is what God wants and this is what he's going to do. And then I'm going to do the thing. It wasn't, hey, Moses, go in there with your family in the, the dead of night and start slitting throats of the Pharaoh and then uh, claim the Pharaoh ship as yourself. And then, uh, let you know, like, that's not what it was. Right. And it's very much like if there is violence done in the Bible, like there's other there are other things. But people yeah. take a lot of, of stuff when they're like, well, God is telling me it's like, no, no, because that's not like mostly his mo like there are occasions when he does that but mostly like if we read the bible that's not what faith is supposed to be the faith is in the waiting so that god does a thing yeah you and, know and it's like I, yeah you think about like you know the israelites laying waste to other peoples on their way to the promised land i was like mm -hmm. there was a lot of faith and violence in those stories this is yeah but it's like there was a lot of steps in between mm -hmm. then and now where People shouldn't be allowed to justify mm -hmm. the violence they commit in the name of God anymore, like right. the Israelites did. You know, right? And even with that, because I was going to say, obviously there is a lot, right? Like on the way to the Promised Land, God was like, "I'm going to give this into your hands. You're going to do this." And legitimately, it was like, "Okay, guys, you're here. Go into there." And they're like, "Okay, we're going to send some scouts. Way too many people. We're not going to do this, guys. I'm literally giving this part to you." No, okay, then walk around there's way more people and it would have been and that's when they do fights and that's and even in things when like the people are like we want a king and we get king <laughs> again lots of bible talk we get it we get king saul right and god is very like hey do this and don't do this and then saul's like i'm gonna do it all and he does it all and he's like that was way too much violence that was not what i asked for that like that was not having faith in me and my plan and my steps and my power that was you going ham and saying it was for me. And that's what this feels like, right? Listening to the, this thing specifically, listen to the prophet when he speaks to you, not listen to God, not be in the Bible, not pray, right? Like listen to the man when he speaks to you because killing in the name of God. When a person talks really well, right? Like you're like, yeah, yeah, you're on site. Even like sometimes we're on this, like, and we're having passionate talks and we're like, and this is the point. Kids, you could be listening to this and you're like, yeah, because there's like, passionate in what i'm saying and maybe like it twists your thoughts a lot always have your own thoughts critical thinking is very important critical thinking it, uh, is very important in everything but especially in faith especially in faith um but getting people to like do things right like i, I think in it's mm, hmm that's the thing like there's 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 an evil in a charismatic leader you know that people just kind of get whipped up to a frenzy and start just believing everything it's like you know that's how we get like god kings and you know, uh, yeah. And, and horror. Like, I, 
it's it is this idea like going back to like the the scepter and the gun right like right like a lot of a lot a good portion of our friends like come to me for advice and talking to stuff right and something i always say at the beginning and end of all my advice is like and talk to someone else like i need you to talk to someone else because my word is not law like these are my thoughts and my opinions on my reading of the bible my experiences in my life my uh, knowledge of you as a person and circumstances and my knowledge of living in america and how that adjusts to your circumstances as well but ask somebody else as well, right? Like, because the power of being the one voice that someone is beholden to is wrong, is yeah, wrong. It's yeah. just wrong. We as people, humans, fallible beasts should not have that or or look for that. And a lot of people do because like going back to the first song, ego. Yeah. I was like, you know, I feel like a lot, you know, there's a point when, when someone of faith, any faith, right? Like mm-hmm. has any to faith. confront how their religion is used to justify violence and give power, you know, is, is exploited for power, right? Political yeah. power, authoritarianism, whatever, right? Like a lot of just a lot of religions throughout history were used to justify violence and to give power to those who exploited it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like John Petrucci, a Christian man, was confronted with this fact and he's writing a song to like think about it. It's like, how can I both stand for a faith, but also recognize that my faith has been used to do horrible things mm-hmm. to other, you know, to, you know, disempowered people or just whatever, right? Is led people astray, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And my faith has been used to give evil men power yeah. over others. Yeah. And then other people, they confront that fact by burying their head in the sand, covering mm-hmm. their ears. I don't know what you're talking about. You yeah. know, I was like, there's a point where this has to be confronted and mm-hmm. how you respond to it, I think, is another telling thing. Yeah. I, I also just kind of just want to keep getting through the lyrics and take it stance because, like, I just want to read the lyrics because, like, <laughs> there's yeah, so much. there's so much, right? Like, right after that thing that you read, it goes, I'm going to read this whole stanza. Straight is the path leading to your salvation, slaying the weak, ethnic elimination. Any day will be swept away. You'll be saved as long as you obey. Lies tools of the devil inside written in holy disguise meant to deceive us all and divide Meant to deceive and divide us all. Yeah, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> that, uh, I was like that. That I feel I I highlighted. There's that's just in that short verse that describes three different ways where faith can be taken advantage of. Yeah, in three very different ways. I feel like. Feel free to share about some of your thoughts on that before I get into mine. No, go, I was talking a lot first. Go okay, ahead first. so straight is the path leading to your salvation. Slaying the weak ethnic elimination right and that's where i was like that that goes back to freaking old testament stuff it's like there was ethnic elimination in the bible by god's decree yeah we have to recognize that yes um then 
it goes into you know things like the Crusades, mm -hmm. ethnic elimination, uh, things like uh, the colonization of the New World, right? It Manifest like, Destiny. Manifest Destiny. You talk about things that happened where you know we forced native peoples to accept our religion, and if Ooh. they if they didn't, there was a trail of tears. Yes. Then there, then the verse. Any day will be swept away. You'll be saved as long as you obey. That reminds me of like the doomsday cultists. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who are like, hey, rapture's coming. Jesus is coming back. Something's going to happen. We're all going to be swept away. We need to, we either need to, you know, listen to this charismatic leader or we need to bring about the end times ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And that that's a, that's the thing. I'm not a scholar in this kind of thing, but I've heard that there's a, there's a, I think the phrase is called like forcing the end where people who are brought up in a like you know doomsday conspiracy theory because those theories are bunk and they're being taken advantage of mm -hmm. by somebody over time when the predictions of the end times whatever when they don't come to pass those people have to either rec they have to reconcile it in some way mm -hmm. it's either oh my prophet is wrong and this is fake i've been drawn into a you know i've been misled right mm -hmm. or they think I did something wrong. We did something wrong, and God is postponing it. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and then it becomes, oh, it's my responsibility to bring about the end times that's been prophesied about. Mm -hmm. It's my job, and that's how you get things like you know, folks uh, doing stuff they shouldn't. Yeah, you know, mass suicides or you know, mm -hmm. uh, committing atrocities and, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, forcing the end. Yeah. Ah! And then the last part. Um, just the line meant to deceive and divide us all, right? Like, I, I feel like we see that in our current political and religious landscape. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of forces that are trying to create division, both in society at large, but mm -hmm. then even within like churches, right? It's like lines are being drawn that are artificial issues, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, the, the Bible, we refer to them as debatable matters. Yeah. But I think there's lines are being drawn definitively saying like, if you believe this, you're not godly. You know, if if you don't believe it, you're ungod. Whatever. Yeah. Right? It's like godly, ungodly. That's where the line is. But yeah. like those lines are being artificially set up by those in power who are meant to divide people. You know, mm -hmm. create battle lines. You know, us versus them mentality. Yeah, I think <clears throat> moving like I agree with you, and I also just like I, I want to take a second pass at this because I like everything you're saying. Like yeah, and it, some of the stuff was like oh yeah yeah, but I thought it was really interesting when I read it that each of these like these parts are are referencing um or alluding to scripture so like straight is the path leading to your salvation narrow is the road and only few find it yep, that's then so twisting it like so the narrow path is you've got to slay the weak and eliminate everyone else there mm. so that you can be one of the few um any day will be swept away that is a reference to noah true <laughs> and You'll be saved if you obey, if you build this boat, if you get on it with your family, if you like, you, everybody's going to think you're crazy. So uh, just do this part uh, and then lie. Right. And even part of that lies the tool of the devil lies tools of the devil inside, inside this like this arc, inside this thing that we're building and then written in holy disguise. But above all, all else, you must believe that the word of God was not written by man, but man moved by God like a pen. 
and yeah. the disguise of false prophets of people twisting the words written in holy disguise meant to deceive yeah right i th i was literally uh, tiktok so I, I was gonna say by definition the the word antichrist in biblical terms refers to those who are men in holy disguise yeah Right. And like the, even. OK, so even that thing that we were talking about earlier is just like the way that we define things as a Western one, which is different from what it add the actual definition of the words as they came. Right. And I was uh, either TikTok. It was probably TikTok. Uh, no, it was. Yeah. Uh, there was a thing that I just saw that uh, somebody was saying just like the can canonized version of the Bible with the our Old Testament is not in the same order as the Torah. Yeah. And this kind of thing where it's like, yeah, no, all of it. Uh, do I believe I'm we're Christians? The Bible just wasn't you written know. in English either. It wasn't written in English. The translations are way off. It was written in multiple different languages, none of them English and in different time periods. But like part of our Bible is the Jewish Torah. And when the Bible was canonized, we decided to move that book around. Right. Like so for how the Bible ends, it's Malachi and then uh, Matthew. Well, there's some things in between and it's like 400 years of silence and then it's it's matthew where we're like ah but in the torah the book ends with chronicles which is basically a long story of like and this is the catch-up this is not spark notes but this is <laughs> what happened in um all of israel and it it leads on a thing of hope and then the new testament starting with matthew which is talking to a jewish people that lead like leads into that hope like why is it moved around right like in this kind of thought we're like written in holy disguise meant to deceive us all right like the way it's kind of put together now is like that fear mongering of like christ is our god is silent so you just need to like figure it out until we get to the new testament kind mm. of thing or however like however you want to read it and things like that but like this kind of thing where it's like how these prophets quote-unquote how people doing things in the name of god what is what is their motivator like not motivator like why are they doing but like why why are they using these specific tools and to what end is it to manipulate people towards yeah Ugh. uh yeah, definitely trigger warning. <laughs> I, was like, I got more trigger warnings, unfortunately. So um, this song, the bridge of this song, references a religious movement known as the Davidians. They were an apocalyptic new religious movement founded in 1955 by Benjamin Rodin, based primarily in Waco, Texas. So this no. is the Waco movement. Oh, no. Uh, the, the, the verse, the bridge in particular says... Hundreds of believers lured into a doomsday cult, all would perish in the name of God, self-proclaimed Messiah, led his servants to their death, 80 murdered in the name of God. Hundreds of believers lured into a doomsday cult, all would perish in the name of God. Now, a lot of that, like, other than the 80 murdered part, a lot of this is non-specific. Mm -hmm. It could be re related to any kind of doomsday cult, you know. Of the which there are plenty. Yep. The 
Jamestown. James, yeah, you know, basically charismatic leader leads his group to mass suicide or something yeah. like that. Um, with the Davidians in particular in 1993, suspecting that the group was stockpiling illegal weapons, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms (ATF) obtained a search warrant for the group's compound and arrest warrants for the for its leaderships and members. What was called the Waco Siege resulted in a 51-day standoff between members of the sect and federal agents. Four agents of ATF and six residents of the compound were killed during the initial raid, while 76 members of the sect, many of them children, died in a fire that erupted during the FBI siege two months later. Mm. Yeah. So again, just a an example of... Oh, just, just, Things going too far. Yeah. You know, More just like needless far, just... human suffering... Because people had these distorted views of spirituality and faith. I think even just there's a couple lines right before that, that it says blurring the lines between virtue and sin. They can't tell where God ends and mankind begins. That, and that's, I love that line. That's the reason stuff like this happens where it's like the divinity of man. Like, no, no, no. They, they can't tell where God ends and mankind begins. Is like, like such a good line. It's such a good line. And I, okay, sorry, I know we're talking about lyrics and I do want to talk about lyrics, but I also feel like uh, I don't know where you're plugging in the song. Good luck. But I do want to say right before the the verse about Waco, um, it ends uh, one of the bridges, the bridge, listen to the prophet who speaks in the name of God, passion twisting to faith and violence in the name of God. Uh, and there's like a soft like drum solo that goes into this that verse about hundreds of believers lured into Dylan and it's really good. It's just really good and sets it like yeah. sets it up really well as it makes you listen to this part. Yeah, that it, that that bridge is very solemn yeah, sounding. Yeah. It is in in fact a eulogy uh and a warning all in one. Like that's what the music sounds like here. Yeah. And that's a, probably the most like specific part of the song where they're actually referencing a, an actual event in history, you know, like mm -hmm. with specifics. Because I, we're focusing a lot on Christianity because we know the most about it, you know, and doomsday cults and stuff like that. And but this is specifically about Christianity. It is, but I think. <laughs> but there, it is not the only. So th th here's here's something that I, I would need to bring up. So this this song was released in the year two thousand three. War. The United States just went to war with Iraq. Uh, there was a lot of Islamophobia around like i had a friend in school named omar great guy muslim and uh he experienced a lot of discrimination at this time Ugh. called terrorist and stuff you know stupid stuff like that elementary schoolers would say uh. Uh, but that's not exclusive to him that was a big deal yes um i can't ignore the possibility that people listening to this song in 2003 and not and those people listening to the song and then thinking this song was referring to Islamophobia Islam, Islamic terrorists. Mm, it doesn't say Allah. But it doesn't. But <laughs> no, I'm with you. But. I got the verse: forty sons and daughters, yeah. unconsenting plural wives, perversions in the name of God, underground religion, turning toward the mainstream light, blind devotion in the name of God, 
justifying violence, citing from the holy book, teaching hatred in the name of God, right? That is all very non-specific, mm-hmm. very applicable to Christianity, and you know, you know, people misusing the whole, you know, the Christian Bible, you know, Christian religion, right? It could equally be read as someone misusing, you know, the 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 Quran, you know, misusing, uh, you know, Islamic faith to do yeah. horrible acts, yeah. which again, topically at this time, that was on the mind of many people. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing about this song is like. It can't. Ju- it doesn't just relate to Christianity or Islam, in, you know, independently, you know, uh, mm-hmm. exclusively. I think it relates to all religion in that any religion can be misused. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I, part of me feels like John Petrucci saw instances where Christianity was taken too far, you know, and, and, and kind of distorted for power, for violence, whatever. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he's seeing the same thing happening in other religions around the world. You know, people misled by misguided faith to do horrible acts of violence against other people. Right. And they feel justified in doing so. Like, yeah, this, this isn't exclusive to one religion. You know, at the same time, it's like, well, you know, that's what separates uh, Islam from Christianity. You know, mm-hmm. they commit violence in the name of their God. I was like, we do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly, like, that you said we, right? Because it's very easy for like, obviously you and I don't, <laughs> like we do not, but like that we are part of this monolith. It is not all of us, but like to claim some part of any religion. You it, have to recognize the bad actors. Yeah, you know. Um, you have to like disown them. And even like the last, I was just looking at the last uh, stanza of this, religious beliefs, fan- fanatic obsession, does following faith lead us to violence? Unyielding crusade, divine relation, does following faith lead us to violence? And both of those are us. Like the rest of them, it, it's not like including the writer, the singer, the I. There's no I in here other than that. Um, in this, but this kind of like, he's saying all of these, these are horrible, horrible things. These are horrible things that people are doing. They're people using the name of God to do terrible things, whatever religion you are, whatever you call your higher power, people do it 
and is an excuse for whatever but to like at the end be like this is the question i'm asking myself like i am a, i am as a i'm a man of faith i am a man of faith does faith lead us to violence is and that that's, is that's that an the honest road? question it's an ask. honest question to ask and that, i feel like that is, it's healthy for any religious person to confront that question mm-hmm. to ask that question confront the answers to that question it's like how can my faith be mishandled and lead someone to violence yeah oh <laughs> I was like, I got, I got, are we done? Yeah, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is such a powerful, difficult song to like engage with because everything he's saying is like valid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's emotionally true. Yeah. It's factually true. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting, honestly. It is. It's like, it is like one of those things just as a last thought because we do need to wrap up. Um, this idea, because we are human and we are flawed and we are we all have our own natures that we tend toward but i sit here for me personally and i think about right like what is my main thing that i want out of life and if if i drill down is it power and the answer for me personally is not is no like with power comes great responsibility and i don't want to be responsible for anything but for me right like because i think about when we go to the emotions in my album when we get there it's like I am way more empathetic and wanting to take care of the hurts, right? Not just the, of the hurts that come out of things like this and not to like toot my own horn or anything. But like when I sit here and I think about like the, the people who become leaders that lead people to do this, is it just to like, I just want to see how far I can go. Like, I just want to see what people will do for me. I just like the mindset of it is, is baffling. It's baffling, even though I am myself a human being who is flawed and I don't know, right? Like that's why like, like this is just heavy. It is a lot to talk yeah. about because there is no answer. Yeah. And on the other side of that coin, there are also passive people who they don't want yeah. responsibility. They want a big, strong, charismatic man to take control and tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. Be- and they would, and they want a big, you know, they want a, you know, a powerful man to come in and smite their enemies for them. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me who the enemies are and tell me what you can do to stop them. Yeah. You know, that's how we get fascism. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I just want to be pointed, point me in the direction, I'll do the thing. Yeah. I don't want to think. I don't want to think too hard. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, the, 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 the issues of life are too great for me. And even Tell me what to do. And even with that, like, I can understand that. Like, right. we are 30-somethings and we are tired all the time. This gig economy, not the business. It's terrible. Right. But like, so I can understand how you could get there and want that. And those, but, but that's the thing. Like, you could be easily taken advantage of by people who are like, well, I'll be that for you. Yeah. You know, let's do horrible things. No. <laughs> Just be a sugar baby. Just kidding. Don't do it. Well, that's Train of Thought by Dream Theater. Ooh. <laughs> you recommend it? No. <laughs> Why? Very angry. Lots of feelings. I think it's a good album. I recommend it. Uh, it's a, it's a good album, but I it like for people who are not Dream Theater fans. There's and there are quite a few of you kids who started really liking this group after we group this band after we've been talking about them. But if you're like a casual, like oh I don't know, this is probably not the one. It's it's a lot. Like, Unless you're a metal fan. Yeah, if you're a metal fan, this yeah. might be the most inviting if you're a heavy metal fan. Yeah, like and musically it's fun and it's all that stuff, but I think like lyrically, it's a lot. It's it's here, it's sitting, it's a lot. It's a powerful but album. Currently, 
the world is in a place where maybe <laughs> maybe this is not the thing to listen to while you're driving to a job you hate. You know? Mm. <laughs> or maybe it is. You need to get that aggression out in a healthy way. <laughs> but what did the world think? Train of Thought was a moderate sales success, but it failed to reach its predecessor's heights. The album peaked at number 53 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and reached the top 10 in Finland, Norway, and Sweden. Okay. Icy those, places. Those uh, Scandinavian countries, they loved the metal. Where it gets dark for long periods of time and you're super depressed. Oh, I wonder why they liked it. <laughs> the album received generally positive reviews from critics, but it polarized Dream Theater fans. Hmm. It was like, it's either... For some people, it's either the best album or the worst mm. because they made a choice. Yep. Hey, we're going to lean into the heavy metal side. And some people loved it. Some people hated it. Mm. Uh, I'm, you know, come more in the middle. <laughs> it's not my favorite Dream Theater album. It's not my least favorite. Yeah. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. IGN, back when they reviewed music, I guess, said, quote, all in all, Train of Thought is a major change in tone for Dream Theater. Sure, they still deliver the epics, but there are fewer bombastic solos. A lot of older fans are very dismayed by this album, accusing the band of going metal or trying to be Metallica. Right now, they do Metallica better than Metallica's been doing. Uh-huh. They've gotten a lot heavier this time out, and I welcome it. Okay. And Brave Words said, quote, Perhaps the most amazing thing about Train of Thought is that despite the length of most of the songs, there's very little overdone progressive soup to wade through. <laughs> Basically, there's never a dull moment. The best album of Dream Theater's career, if not, then a close second at worst. Mm. There you go. All right. And what of the the legacy of Train of Thought? They played it on tour with Queen's No, they did not. <laughs> here's here's something totally interesting that I discovered. By inserting the Train of Thought CD into a computer, one could connect to the Dream Theater website to access bonus materials such as in-studio content. Oh. It doubled as a CD-ROM. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, ah, that's so silly. Like. <laughs> That was something people did back then. Yeah. Hey, t- put your CD in the computer, in your CD drive, and we'll take you to our website. Laser disc technology. You could just type in the website. No, laser disc, stick, laser disc technology. Wow, words are hard. MP4 Productions, through Mike Portnoy's website, released Drums of Thought, a DVD containing footage of Portnoy recording his drum parts for Train of Thought. And where did Dream Theater go from here? Well, we're never going to talk about them again, so we should wrap up their whole legacy. Well, to support Train of Thought, the band embarked on the Train of Thought tour, which saw them open for classic progressive rock band Yes and headline a series of solo performances. This tour spawned the Live at Budokan DVD, which was certified platinum in the U.S. Hmm. So that's pretty pretty cool. The band followed up Train of Thought with 2005's Octavarium, which we will not talk about on Media Made. <laughs> Yes, we're yep. skipping a Dream Theater we're album. We're skipping a Dream Theater How happened. crazy is that? It's wild. That's my. That's like my favorite album by Dream Theater. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I'm glad we're skipping it because there would have been a lot of fanboying. <laughs> they toured extensively throughout 2005 and 2006, released the acclaimed Score DVD in honor of their 20th anniversary as a band, and returned to the studio in September 2006 to record their ninth album under Roadrunner Records. But that... Is a story for a different day. Oh. That is a story for a different <laughs> oh, day. Oh, no. Well, yes. We will be returning, obviously. But there's going to be a bit of... We, we talked Dream Theater a lot for a long time, mm-hmm. but we're going to take a Dream Theater break 
for the next several years. So Because the internet has come to us, kids. Well, Rodney will have discovered music between then and now. Oh, because yeah. at 2003, I was not listening to music. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I listened to this album late. Mm, that's fair. But that's Dream Theater. That's Dream Theater. Yeah, that's train of thought. We're gonna we're gonna close out this segment with uh, what did I choose? Uh, can we ju- can can I posit a thought? Yes. Uh, since it's called train of thought, can we just do the Thomas the Tank Engine intro? No. <laughs> no, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna close out this segment with the song "Endless Sacrifice," which we did not talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's got you know, it's a, it's a decent song. Mm-hmm. But we'll close out with that. We'll be back after the break with Justice Album of 2003. See ya. We are back with a song that just sounds like Switchfoot or something. Wow. Also, where's your energy, my guy? It's 6.30 in the morning. Okay, I've been up for two hours. Get on my level. I'm doing a K-pop movie. You don't understand that. I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> Playing too much Zelda. That's but fair. we're back with a song. <laughs> with a song? Or with, with an album? With the, with the song. <laughs> the song's called, uh, what is the song? The song's called uh, The Quiet Things That No One Ever Knows. They know now because there's a song about it. Yeah, long song titles, uh, which is a staple of this genre of music. Yeah, we're so, we're we're in it. We're in the angsty. Emo. Like, we're this emo. Emo isn't an emotion. Emo's a genre, and yeah, it's it this. Is. <laughs> is this emo? Yes. I don't know if this is yeah, emo. It's, yeah, it, 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 they span a couple genres. Uh, all blind spots for me. <laughs> it's like emo, post-hardcore. Um, I fill in your music knowledge. If you weren't married to me, you would not be as well-rounded as you are now. It, it's just like this, you know, middle. It's like this early to mid, two thousands alternative rock, 
you know, it, it spans a couple genres, mm-hmm. you know, that were booming at the time. Because, like, the, the hardcore post-hardcore thing was pretty big. Again, mm-hmm. incredible blind... <laughs> again, an incredibly big blind spot for me. Like, yeah. I was not listening to this. I wasn't listening to any music in 2003, as we've talked about, you know. That's true. Uh, I had written off music because people made fun of me for listening to NSYNC, like, a year or two before. As they should have. And <laughs> <laughs> if... I didn't hear it on the radio, like Eminem, or if I didn't hear it through my older sister, like Lamb of God or something, um, I was not listening to it. So this whole era of music passed me by. And aren't you sad that you missed it now that you're here no, listening not really. to it? You're, you're so emo that you missed it. Like, I want to, like, I guess, before, should I introduce the band first? Should I? <laughs> <laughs> sure. They're already here at the table with us. Released. June 17th, 2003, the second album and breakthrough release of this American emo rock band. <laughs> that is Deja Intendu by Brand New. <laughs> how was how that to say? Deja Intendu. Probably. It's like, it's like deja vu. Yes. Deja Intendu. Do you know what it means? Yes, but I don't have it written down right away. I also don't know what it means. I'll tell you <laughs> in a second. I think it's like I've heard this all before. Mm. So they're being uh, being self-deprecating, which nah. is an emo staple, I guess. Uh, yeah, probably. So d- this sound, the 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 emo sound, right? I remember we we sat down. I, this is the first time I've ever he- heard of Brand New, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like I'd never even heard this band before, heard the name before, until Jess said, "Oh, that's my album." So Sorry, I, I just want you to know. I know I had a nickname at the beginning of the show, but now I will only be referred to as Uno Dos Jess. Uno Dos Jess. So again, from the top. You heard this from Uno Dos Jess. <laughs> so um, I listen. You know, we put this album on. You know, we're listening to it. I heard listening to it the first time, and I was like, "Oh man, they were like this sound." I was like, "It, it existed this early because mm. this this album to me sounds like two thousand five six. But you know, I mean, two years is not that much time. It's still pretty early for it, music. Yeah, it, you know. So these guys are actually kind of pioneers of this sound. Like when I think so. Emo to me, I didn't have a lot of knowledge on music, you know, in, in middle school and high school as far as like modern alternative rock. Mm-hmm. I did to what uh, like to me and my friends, emo was a emo was an insult, you mm, know, and yeah. we just refer and we would joke about bands that were very whiny or emotional mm-hmm. of any genre, and that would be emo to us, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. sometimes the the insult would land so like. Fallout Boy and the other one, Panic, Panic at, at the, the disco. disco. They're emo. My Chemical Romance has emo influence, mm-hmm. right? As for you know, traditional emo genre. Right, right, right. But then there are other bands that I can't even remember. Like you're like, oh, that, th- yeah, they're emo. Justin like, Bieber, how emo? Yeah, something, something <laughs> dumb like that. Wow. He was a he he debuted like towards the end of high school, so probably not. But like, uh, I, I can't even think of you know. Trapped, probably. Trapped. Uh, yeah, emo. But they're okay. not. They're yeah. not. <laughs> no. But this, this is emo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, um, they're they're not screamo. No. But um, in in high school, because again, I had a very limited music knowledge at the time. If any band of any time did a scream or a growl of any type, I called them screamo. <laughs> so it's like Pantera screamo. <laughs> um. 
which we found out is a very specific subset. It's and different. And a lot more fa- people call things Screamo that are not Screamo. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Alexis on fire is Screamo. I would also be screaming if I was on fire, Alexis. System of a Down, not Screamo. I was going to say I probably referred to System of a Down as Screamo in um, high school or something. Only because BYOB opened up with... BYOB opens up with like a a scream of some kind, but it's not Mm. screamo. Like I think that an important element is the emo part, which is a specific genre of music. Yeah, and like emo goes back to like the eighties as a music genre. Yeah, please name an eighties emo band for me right now. No Google, use the Google inside of your cranium. Uh, Emotional hardcore or emo core. Uh, bands in the 80s include Rites of Spring and Embrace. Never heard of them. I've also never heard of them. But once I listen to this episode again, I'm going to look up at least one of their songs. Uh, uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, Jawbreaker, Captain Jazz. Or those J- Jimmy sons- Eat World. Oh. We know Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. They they became like a pop punk. Yeah. I was at least like in the, the late 90s. The only song I know that I attribute to them is, I almost said She Will Be Loved. Look, it's the middle. It's... Oh, that's not even the one that I was no, thinking of. You know, uh, like the one where the girl is crying, a, a river or a lake or something. No, that's different. Who's that? I don't uh, uh, cry me or uh, not cry me a river. No, 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 that's no, Justin uh, Timberlake. No, here's a story of a girl. That, that one. That that's not. That's, that, that's not Jimmy Eat World. That is Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> Googling it again, I'm sure, and I'm more right about music than you are generally. That is nine days. <laughs> Nine days until Jimmy eats Absolutely. World? Absolutely. Story of a girl. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, Nine Days. But then, I have always attributed that to the wrong band. Like mid-90s emo bands include Braid, The Promise Ring, and The Get Up Kids. Get Up I've, Kids I've, sounds familiar. I've heard of The Get Up Kids by name, but I don't know them. Yeah. Okay. You know, and now we're in the early 2000s emo mm. mix with hardcore because hardcore... Okay, this is another co- stupid, complicated genre of music. Is like so, <laughs> hardcore means hardcore punk, mm-hmm. which you know goes back to the freaking seventies and eighties. Mm, Britain. Um, well, I mean that's just punk rock. Okay. But then there was like you know the more aggressive hardcore punk, but over time hardcore punk became too rigid because you know it's kind of there's not a whole lot you can do versatility wise with hardcore punk, so they're became like it, it became the post hardcore sound which is a little bit more versatile mm-hmm. uh, it, it kept the abrasiveness and kind of like the sonic elements of hardcore punk but you know influence you know more more musical influences more versatility more radio friendly sound sometimes ah, you know okay, cleaner okay. vocals did you did you expect when we started this that we would be talking about several other bands <laughs> Ah, no, but, I mean, you got to That's so I'm, I'm just placing the thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, brand new. They were pioneers in the post hardcore emo scene. You know, like they, they they were establishing a sound here that I thought didn't exist yet. But no, absolutely. You know, so it's like good on you. Brand new. You were, in fact, brand new. Yeah, sort of. Well, they were. They, I'm the, just saying they were on the cutting edge. So the product wasn't new, but the brand was brand new. OK. That's that's what that's what brand new means. Yeah. Then the, the brand is new. But yeah, I had never heard of this band. Yeah. And so I was surprised. Oh, wow. wow that, that sounds like <laughs> I'm just saying that th- this particular sound of music reminds me of like 2004 or five when I was in middle school, mm-hmm. not when I was a fifth grader. That makes sense. 
But tell me your uh, history with Brand New. I'm pretty sure for the... I like, I definitely heard it on MTV. Uh, I think there was only like three or four, probably closer to three years that I was like into MTV. And I wasn't necessarily like, that's what I'm going for, right? I was still a, like... I would go to MTV if there's no anime on. <laughs> so they're, prob- they're probably playing this brand new music over like the real world road world challenge. Oh my gosh, maybe. Or uh, Room Raiders. No, I didn't want, like I would literally be like, oh, what's on? Oh, there's like a music video block. And that's where I listen MTV to it. MTV2? Yes, I guess that that's Electric it. Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> wow. The better of the Boogaloos. Um, yeah, I just, it's like one of the things that I caught on like that was the era in which I was listening to Three Days Grace, Three Doors Down, Three Dog Night. Just kidding. I just wanted <laughs> Three Dog Night. I just wanted to keep Third the Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. We Three Kings. Um and listening to all it's trapped and different things like that. So it was just like within the sphere and it was pretty emotional. I think that this was one of those bands that like exemplifies my taste for lyrics over um musicality and though the music is still really catchy i will say like when we were doing this i was like oh when i first saw brand new on our list when we were going through i was like that's the one and we listened to it and stuff and and then i thought through and i was like is it something else because clearly kelly clarkson came out with her uh uh first album this year and i was like i i love kelly clarkson i listened to all her stuff i was like should it be this but it definitely is brand new even when i like went and I listened to both. We did flip a coin, but when I listened to both albums back to back, like there's way more like nostalgia and like emotional stuff like wrapped up in this album. And it's just, it was one of the albums because there's only two singles off this album. It was one of the albums that I owned, right? Like that was mine, uh, that I bought with the money that I made. So I don't know if that's history. No, yeah. (laughs) More history than I usually give. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just thought of another Screamo band. Under Oath. Remember Under Oath? <laughs> I don't remember. They Under were Screamo Oath. and Christian. Ah. <laughs> Three Under Oath. Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, let's learn about where Brand New came from. All right. When they were... Are they Canadian? Just New. Wow. No, they're not from Canada. They're from Long Island, New York. Oh. I thought Long Island was in New Jersey. Nope. I'm just kidding. I know nobody listens to this from New York, but that was a joke. <laughs> And also, Jersey, that was a joke. Brand New came out of the late 90s hardcore scene on Long Island, New York. Singer-guitarist Jesse Lacey, bassist Garrett Tierney, and drummer Brian Lane were all members of the post-hardcore band Rookie Lot. Alongside alongside guitarist Brandon Riley, now best known as a member of Nightmare of You, and Alex Dunn, now best known as a member of Crime in Stereo, which is a band I've heard of. (laughs) After Rookie Lot dissolved, Lacey, Tierney, and Lane continued to play together. After recruiting guitarist Vincent Accardi, they formed Brand New in the year 2000. Ah. Lacey said the name was, quote, somewhat in jest because nothing in the band was really that new. We weren't trying to break ground with a new kind of sound or anything. Well, <laughs> they weren't trying. That's why the, the name Deja Intendu is, Got it. is ironic. That They're brand sense. new and the, you know, the word means... We've heard this before. (laughs) The band grew an audience in the local alternative and hardcore scene and signed with Brooklyn's Triple Crown Records after just their second show. It's pretty cool. Wow. Well, they I guess they had already been a band, so like they knew what to do. They weren't brand new, but still that's sick. 
Yeah. Brand New released their first album, Your Favorite Weapon, in 2001. It reportedly received a cult-like success, selling over 50,000 copies and receiving critical praise. Can I just say the irony of titling an album Your Favorite Weapon in 2001? What, <laughs> what month did it come out? Don't know. <laughs> they they got away with it. Jimmy World didn't. They got away with they it, weren't, though. They weren't like mainstream popular yet. That's fair. The band toured in support of the album for the next two years, performing alongside bands like Finch, Dashboard Confessional, and Taking Back Sunday. I've heard of all those. I love Taking Back Sunday. They were in the, the same circles. Yeah. During this period, they wrote material that would end up on their second release. Huh. Drummer Brian Lane explained that the band had been influenced by a range of different artists that they heard while on tour. Quote, all of us got exposed to a lot of different music that all of us were listening to. Brand New recorded the album, titled Deja Entendu, in February 2003. And like I said, the title is French for It Feels Like I Heard This Before, mm-hmm. which vocalist Jesse Lacey described as very tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> he told MTV, quote, No matter who you are or what your band is about, you can't put a record out without people saying it's derivative of something else. So by saying the record's already been heard, it's kind of like saying, yeah, you're right. We're doing something that's already been done before. I mean... Reducing expectations. I mean, I like it. I mean, I like it. I get it. As an artist, I totally get it. I was like, yep, ev- everything I do is a shadow or a reflection um, of a bunch of other stuff. And it's, it's funny. I had I, It was like, yeah, I've heard this before, but it's because bands took their sound and Replicated iterated it. on after that. So mm-hmm. it's just they the way right. things go. <laughs> but that's all I got for the history of Brand New so far. Well. This was their breakout. That's for, Well, they had a cult following. I feel like I want to go back and listen to that. I'm sure I won't like it. No offense. No offense. But um, yeah. Anyway, let's <laughs> talk about this album or songs on this album. Okay. Okay. Yeah, another, another thing. Brace yourselves. Uh, remember how we said at the, in the first segment that uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, exploring a range of emotions. Dream Theater, we talked rage and hate and uh, frustration. Yes. And, and like a, you know, a helplessness, you know, yeah. pleading for help. Now we're going to talk about more emotion. Yep. But the emotions are going to be like less current affair and more teenage diary. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, we could still relate, but yeah, there's a lot of, if you are not currently a teenager, you were about to be put back in that headspace. So if you were not ready, go go pause and meditate or something, because not all of us had a great headspace as teenagers. There's, I was going to say, there's probably a reason this, this album was popular, because all the, all the songs and the lyrics, like, relate to teenage angst. More than I, I can think of a, another single album. Yeah. You know? Even even like My Chemical Romance, which I enjoy. Like nothing is. These are some potent angst songs. Yeah. Like there are teenagers who sing. Like there was H- Hillary Duff, Aaron Ca- Carter, Justin Biebs, like all these people. Uh, 3LW. They're as actual teenagers putting out albums. This this is the experience, though. This is the <laughs> these grown experience. men were like, let us just tap into this place we really shouldn't and put it to music anyway to set the stage we're going to listen to the first song on the album it's called tattoo tattoo is that also french yes let's listen to the whole thing 
just gonna say that over and over again. By the way, it's gonna. He gets say, a little screamo at says, the end. Uh, I'm sinking like a stone in the sea. I'm burning like a bridge for your body. <laughs> That's it. Those are the only lyrics in this song. Yep. Also, I hate his whisper. Aww. He does that in a few songs, and I hate it. I like it. I, uh, you know. Sometimes I like, you know, ASMR videos, but I don't like the ones where the people whisper in your ear. You know, hey, oh, that's interesting. I don't mind hey, those welcome ones. To, welcome to the, the uh, So you're going to do it to yeah. all of our kids? Welcome to the uh, doctor's office. Can I take your order? You know, or something stupid like that. <laughs> Role play stuff. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I'm fine with that, especially if it's just saying stuff, not necessarily welcome to the doctor's office. I don't like food sounds and mouth sounds. Oh, yeah, yep. that's like, I don't like I like the people who just kind of like clink on objects and stuff, but no off topic. <laughs> I don't like people whispering. I don't like the sound of whispering. Oh, that's fair. You really don't actually. No, it's that's not that's not to like. Yeah, like I, if I'm talking too low, you're like, please speak up. And I was like, we're in a movie theater. Well, then no, don't, don't talk to I me. I don't like movie theaters either. True. Yeah. So I th- th- this album doesn't start off on a, on the right foot for me. Like when, I love every, it. You know, I listen because I listened to the whole album before you chose what songs we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about, and I was like, oh, I hate that freaking whispering. I hope she doesn't choose that one. Oh yeah, and she I did. love it. I think it's the perfect way to open this um, whole album up. I think honestly, I said I think a lot in that sentence. Cut out, and I think. <laughs> um, I think it sets the tone a lot. This kind of yeah, whispering. This like it's a secret. It's something I keep to myself, and then we slowly get louder, and then it also just kind of gets drowned out, even though they're clearly saying it louder. I think that is kind of the perfect encapsulation of everything in this album. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a thesis statement, like a mood piece. Mm. Yeah, you know, like this this song, like lyrically for sure, like tell you, hey man. This song's gonna be about like emotional turmoil. I'm sinking like a stone in the sea. That's just like that sounds like depression, you know, mm-hmm. or angst, or ennui, or whatever. Yeah. What teenagers feel, <laughs> you know. So it's, and sometimes, how many teenagers like got that tattooed? Like I'm sinking like a stone in the sea, or how many lyrics? How many teenagers, people who were teenagers in the mid, er, mid, early to mid 2000s, got tattoos of brand new lyrics? Here's the thing. I'm planning to get a tattoo in a couple of months. I already know what I want, but I'm not going to lie. You're giving me some ideas. <laughs> sounds great. It sounds great to me. And I'm burning like a bridge for your body. It's I, like, you know, a teenager feeling, you know, just raging passions within themselves. Like, I actually really liked that lyric of the two lyrics in this two minute song. It's like not even that long. It's a, yeah, a minute and a half. A minute and a half. Um, I'm burning like a bridge for your body. I thought that was such an interesting because obviously everything about this is both about this album is both very poetic and also very straight in your face. It's weird that it can do both. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I thought about the, ter- the the term, the saying, the colloquialism, probably. I don't know the name of uh, burning bridges and the idea that like when you're when you burn a bridge, it's basically uh, about doing things to kill uh all access to regress you know like you're not you're not going to go back that way it's like you're cut well i mean you're sometimes you're cutting off a connection between a person it's burning a bridge yes yeah ba- so like exactly so you're there is no way to get back to that side uh and there's also no way for someone else to go forward and so the idea of burning like a bridge for your body this kind of like i don't know it just made me sit and think like what could that possibly how does that like i'm so inflamed that's 
a medical term. I'm so passionate um, that I'm like willing to burn some bridges. I'm self-destructive with my passions. Lusts. You know, lusts, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that that's, isn't that a teenager thing though? Yeah. You know, like my hormones are so on fire that I am self-destructive yeah. in my behavior. Yeah. And I just like that that's how it's like, it's such a beautiful way to say that thing. That's just kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna burn it all down. Like if I got a shot, fire everywhere. Yeah. Wah. <laughs> tattoo, the name. Do you know what that is a reference to? Getting a tattoo. Nope. It is named after the actress Audrey Tattoo, hmm. who is the star of the 2001 French language film Amelie. Oh. Do you think they had a crush on her? I, I can only assume <laughs> with the lyrics of the song and they named it after her. I have no idea what Amelie's about. I don't either. <laughs> I always get it mixed up with chocolate. No, it's different. Yeah, no, yeah. I know they're different, but in my head, if I see scenes from either one, I'm probably saying that's Amelie in Chocolate. I, I, I <laughs> again, have also not seen Amelie, but like the poster, it, like I've seen the poster and it's mm -hmm. like the French lady smiling at you. Yeah. She strikes me as like a manic pixie dream girl of uh, some kind, you know, so mm -hmm. these like, you know, emotional filled boys are like, oh man, I'm <laughs> burning like a bridge for... Your bo Amelie's body. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sinking like a stone in the sea. Sorry. Um, it's good. Yeah, and it, it it does set the tone in in that. I love that you called it a thesis statement because, ugh. I kids just be prepared. There's essay like poems. <laughs> Most of the lyrics on this album were written by Jesse Lacey, the singer. I bet. Um, and he, that man. He's a good lyricist. Yeah. He really is. Like there it's like almost every single verse in this song is or every every single verse in this album is a pretty like powerful, like, you know, uh potent line. Yeah, the imagery is great. Like we're gonna move on. But like everything just you feel it with a pow in, in very much the way like poetry is supposed to go, where it's it's a, a small amount of words to really get the biggest bang. And then on top of that, nothing rhymes. <laughs> like oh. this is not like, that's one of the things I love about it. Like it is all about the, the idea, like this is the thing I really like about good singers and songwriters and just musicians that we all go like, oh, I'm writing a song and it has to rhyme. Like, nah dog, if you're singing at the same, like, what is that called? Rhythm tip, the, I am big pentameter. When you, if you're singing at the right pentameter, it doesn't matter uh, what the word, the lines are ending with, or anything like that. Like nothing rhymes, and it's just like it doesn't need to. And this song bangs all of them, specifically the one we're gonna go to next, which I cannot read without singing it in my head. Jesse Lacey, he's a he's a poet for our time. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he's a real troubadour. This guy. <laughs> all right, we want to move on to the next song. Transitioned into it. Yeah. It is one of the singles. So you might have heard this one on MTV too. I did. <laughs> it's called Sick Transit Gloria. Dot, 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 glory fades. Still lying in bed completely motionless I have in the dark to a zipper 
Yep. It was like, this sounds like something that would play on. I, I assume they played this on freaking Viva La Bam or something. Possibly. You know, I didn't watch that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like this, this definitely, because if, if MTV was playing their videos, they were definitely plugging it into their TV shows. That's fair. I mean, they paid for it. The road world, uh, real world, road world, road raw, rules. Raw, 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 raw. I can't even say that. Real world. Real world, road rules challenge. Real world, road, real, real, real. Raw, raw, raw. Anyway. Uh, what's the song about? I was going to ask you, what's the song about? Uh, it's about uh, a young man's first sexual experience. So, trigger warning, trigger warning. We are, by the nature of the song, we are going to be talking about uh, sexual activity of some kind. We will keep it. I think we're not going to get lewd here, okay? We're not going to get, uh, you know, explicit. But if you don't want to hear us talk about that, you can skip ahead too. Three hours, six minutes, 14 seconds. And yeah. <laughs> um, second trigger warning. Kids who are our friends in real life, don't talk to us about this. <laughs> Actually, I don't care. You can talk to I me. Was like, don't talk to Rod. Um, mother, if you're listening to this, you are the ones that also needs to skip. Yeah. It, the, we're going to have to have to talk about our sexual activity. Something, you know, like not, not ex again, not explicitly and not yeah. lewdly. But one, ha w this song is incredibly relatable. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Uh, the you want the the title that comes from it's Latin sic transit gloria means thus passes the glory of the world Oof. and it is a direct quote from a from a film because most of the song titles on this album are quotes from movies mm -hmm. this one is a quote from the 1998 Wes Anderson film Rushmore I still haven't seen it I I, I captured the clip from Rushmore of him saying it so. Context, uh, Rushmore is about a young teenage boy named uh, Max Fisher. I've seen it. I, I don't like Rushmore. I don't like Max Fisher at all. Mm -hmm. But he, the the he is kind of like a, a an overachiever in his high school. And mm -hmm. he, he puts together these elaborate stage productions. And a lot of them are just like movie adaptations. And they're extremely like elaborate. Mm -hmm. And he puts together a... It's like a stage adaptation of like... I don't think they named the movie outright, but it's clearly a stage adaptation of Apocalypse Now, mm -hmm. the, the Vietnam movie. So this is him playing like a Vietnam soldier in his stupid school play. Okay. Adios, Espacito. Adios, Sarge. Say a prayer for Surf Boy, wherever he is. Semper Fi, soldier. Semper Fi. Sick Transit Gloria. Maybe we'll meet again someday when the fighting stops. That's it. Okay. I think the reason they chose Rushmore for this song is because the main crux of the Rushmore story is Max Fisher falls in love with his teacher. Oh. And he's trying to date his teacher. Nope. That she, does not sound like a movie I want to watch. She's a grown woman, though, and she's, like, not having it. Yeah, good. She, good. Yeah, like, she is not a party to it, but she kind of pities him. You know, she's like... Max, this is not going to work, and I feel sorry for you, but I'm in love with Bill Murray. <laughs> you know? Aren't we all? And then, you know, Max Fisher has this, like, rivalry that it's a one-way, you know, mm -hmm. one-sided rivalry with Bill Murray. Because, like, Bill Murray is like, I'm an adult. Okay. Then I might still watch. I, I will probably watch that movie. Here's the thing. I don't like movies that glorify children and adults. 
But this is the only movie that has that in it that I've heard that the the, the adult is like, uh, no, kid. Ew. No, it's like realistic. But I think, I, again, I don't like this. I've only you don't seen like it, the kid. I get I've it. only seen it one time, you know. And uh, But it's clearly about like a teenager who is, you know, trying to move into adulthood. Mm-hmm. But he's doing it ungracefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Fun. That sounds like you wouldn't like it because it would... T- 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 Hit you too close to home. And no. Like, but the point, I think the point is, so I've heard people read into the lyrics of this song mm-hmm. into meaning it is a young man having a sexual experience with an older woman. Mm-hmm. I don't think explicitly it's about being with an older woman yeah, no. in the song itself. It's just about like being with a more experienced, more woman. experienced yeah. woman. Yes. So that's kind of what the song is about. First person. It's about a young man mm-hmm. having what I assume to be his first sexual experience yeah. with a much more experienced woman. Yeah. And it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's uncomfortable. It's relatable. Ugh. And I, I, I can only assume it's happening at a party. You wanna, Possibly. You want to jump so, to the lyrics here? So, okay. Um, I, I will say the first couplet is like a little confusing because it's the only time she is mentioned as uh, like kind of having... A point of view and everything else is done in he's his point of view right yeah um keep the noise low she doesn't want to blow it shaking head to toe while you left while your left hand does the show me around quickens your heartbeat beats me straight into the ground that just feels like the setting of being alone in a room <laughs> right and i think later it definitely refers to um party and everything like that that's just ugh. yeah upon arrival the yeah. guests had all stared drooping mm-hmm. wet and clearly depressed he'd S- headed straight to the stairs no longer cool but a boy in a stitch unprepared for a life full of lies and failing relationships upon arrival the guests had all stared drooping wet and clearly depressed he'd headed straight for the stairs no longer cool but a boy in a stitch unprepared for a life full of lies and failing I love it. I will say, I feel like that, like a lot of it in my head jumps around. That feels like after. That feels like they were somewhere else. They did the deed and then he went home and there were people in his house. They're oh. just like, oh, mom had like uh, her friends from work over and da 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 because he's alone. Oh, I assumed part. it was like this happened at a party. They are like having a, like, you know, she's like, Pulling him upstairs to go find a you know a vacant bedroom somewhere mm-hmm. so they can do the deed. Yeah, uh, and there's a party going on. Which again, if you, speaking as someone who uh, was incredibly uh, who was not sexually active as a teenager, if that happened to me, knowing there were people downstairs like that were going to be there when I exited the room after, uh, would have been even more anxiety inducing. Yeah, like. Speaking as some again, I was not sexually active in high school, and I did date a woman that was more experienced than I was in high school. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. Let, let's say girl, just because girl, because you were a high school child, and they were also a high school child. Let's not say woman. <laughs> I mean, no, no, we were 18. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, that's fine. That's I was fine. like, I think we started dating when we were 17, okay. but it was. I would, I would say we were both adults when we got to this point. Got it. <laughs> um, and. Again, there's a lot of pressure involved in dating someone who's more experienced and cooler than you are, you know? Yeah. So the 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 
The lines quickens your heartbeat beats beats me straight into the ground, dripping wet and clearly depressed. <laughs> dripping with sweat, I assume, right? I am sweaty and my heart's beating really fast because I am very nervous. Yeah. And I am clearly depressed. That's another thing. It's it's hard to be. Uh, <laughs> how do I say this? It's hard to perform when you're that nervous. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. This this is not yeah it was like he's not putting himself in in the great position to be like sexy at this point yeah. in time. I think the thing that is like so incredible about this that it's not it's not like what movies pre- like say it's going to be you just get caught up in the moment and blah 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 like no it's it's almost never that. It's not necessary especially when it's like your first it's very much like we're here we're going to do this and we are all highly aware of what is happening and terrified. Yeah. Um, even if w- if one person is like, oh, this is fine. This is old hat. The person who is, it, the, it's a new hat, brand new, <laughs> brand new hat. Like that's, there's there's nothing but like you're in your head. All you're the time. All like there is just kind of like, oh, I'm supposed to enjoy this. If I don't, I think that's a thing that the song does very well in other parts where she's like, no, no, you're supposed to enjoy this. This is supposed to be good. This is supposed to be like this. Well, your your friends explained it like this. And if you're not feeling this, you're weird. And da-da, and like it encapsulates all of that in this thing because like, yeah, that's 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 reality, right? Like not this like thing you see in freaking terrible shows put on by CW or something like that, you know? Well, knowing that the woman is the initiator here, um, I think also lends to the fact that this guy is going to be in his head even more. It's like she mm-hmm. has expectations on this night and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, I got to follow her lead, but you know, who knows what she's thinking? Cause we don't know because the song really doesn't present her perspective yeah. all that much, but is she like, come on, dude, you got to take charge, you know, or something like that. He can only guess, you know, and mm-hmm. young people aren't very good at expressing themselves. Correct. Um, so who knows what he thinks she thinks she wants, <laughs> but what, she, you know, versus what she actually wants. Yeah. You know, and it's it's impossible to know because these people seem like two people who aren't like either. They they don't seem like that close, like, yeah, friendship wise. And there's like no communication. It's sort of like, come on, we got to go upstairs because that's what we got to do. Because, yeah, we're, I- we're feeling it. So even in that, there are plenty of times in this song that I'm just kind of like, mm, this feels like his friends, like, like there's so many moments where like they're just not connected or anything like that. I was like, do you know her? Or like, I know this is like a hookup, but is she a sex worker or something like that? I, I don't think so. Like, because, but there are like things where she's just like, yeah, let's do this, da, 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 that she's, it doesn't see. And okay, flip side, right? Um, it's presented like she's here just because, not necessarily because she wants to, but that is also filtered through his like panic. And yes. like you like put like da, da, that very much like, does she does she want this? Is this what she's smiling, but it doesn't really feel like it's smiling. And and he's putting all the he's projecting a lot yes. of stuff as well. And so that's why that distance, I was like, does she want to be here? Why is she doing this? Because you're getting like nothing except the very beginning which now i'm like it's two lines that are just like she wants um she doesn't want to blow it uh she keep the noise low she doesn't want to blow it like maybe she's being quiet because she wants this to happen and she's freaking out herself and that's the only like pov we get from her and everything else is his freak out which is coloring like his experience and how he perceives she is experiencing it that's the tragedy of young people is it's really hard to 
empathize with the other partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, again, I <laughs> it sucks. I identify so much with this stupid scenario mm-hmm. because I didn't. That's the thing. It's never happened to me at a party. That would have added to the anxiety. But I have. I've had a situation where the girl initiates. She's in my head expecting something, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like, I have no idea. But the problem is I'm so wrapped up in what I'm, what I think is expected of me. I'm not even considering what she feels in that moment. Yeah. You know, and it's so everything is muted, but your own feelings mm-hmm. and you're just projecting that everywhere. Yeah. You know? So it's sort of like, it's sad because it's like, yeah, I, I kind of want to know what she feels about this, you yeah. know, but we don't know because this is a, this is a little boy, you know, who's. Uh, experiencing things for the first time mm-hmm. and uh yeah and i think there are probably exceptions to the rule but i think by and large it's the first times the first few times it's really difficult to like think about how to prioritize your partner because you're so wrapped up in what you're you think it's supposed to be like yeah and that's the thing it's like you and me we are emotionally mature people who, you know, in, in all aspects of our marriage, communicate with each other. Yeah. Uh, when you're in a te- your first teenage relationship or, you know, your first relationship ever, I, you know, I, I was 18. I was a teenager, I guess. <laughs> it's like you don't discuss things. Yeah. You know, the, I wasn't emotionally mature enough to, like, ask how what can I do to prioritize you? Mm-hmm. What do we do here? You know, and I can only guess that the the, the main character of this song is overplaying his experience. Mm. Like in his head, he's clearly I'm he's like, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a boy in a in a stitch. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm a little boy, and then this experience is gonna make me a man. Yeah. Right. So I can only guess this is his first time. Yeah. He's never done this before. Yeah. And it feels like again, maybe I'm just projecting my own past on this. He is pretending that he's more experienced than he yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. But the truth is, he's a boy becoming a man <laughs> because it's it oh, it says. Uh, he keeps his hands low. He doesn't want to blow it. Mm-hmm. He's wet from head to toe with sweat, I assume. His eyes give her the up and down. His stomach turns and he thinks of throwing up, which, you know, I can relate to that too. But the body on the bed beckons forward and he starts growing up. Yeah. He is becoming a man. Yeah. In the way that, quote unquote, you're supposed to. But also, like, I think the awkwardness and I, I would, I don't know if this is going to be a, I, I don't remember. Is it, does he does he fail to does he not get the home run here? <laughs> I don't know. No, I think he gets the home okay. Run. <laughs> I'm just saying the awkwardness of his first time is going to make him a man. Yeah, not the deed itself, but the 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 fail. You know the the point in time that he can uh, uh, improve upon <laughs> what he can grow from in this experience. Yeah, that's what's going to make him a man. I think. Yeah. I like we're still at the beginning of this, which is fine. I want to read through uh, the first verse that I like super uh, or that I highlighted um, because mm, (laughs) a victim still lying in bed, completely motionless. A hand moves in the dark to a zipper. Hear a boy bracing tight against the sheets, barely whisper. This is so messed up. Um, This whole thing, (laughs) this idea that like you're in this moment. And all these things are happening. There's a bed, um, a hand moves to a zipper, someone's bracing tight, and you refer to yourself as a victim or you refer to your partner as a victim. Uh, and there's barely a whisper saying, this is so messed up. Like, 
this is a traumatic experience that we are just saying is what is supposed to be like. Like if you're in this position, like let's be honest, right? Like I think that <clears throat> sorry kids for who has not skipped. I um had some experiences where uh I was put in a position that I was like I'm very very uncomfortable and I don't know that I want this to happen. But this is what's supposed to happen, right? Like, this is where you're mm. supposed to be. This is, and so this part like hit me way too hard, where you're just kind of like in your head. The first thing you're thinking, you say, is a victim. But we're going to walk past that and just describe what's happening. We're going to just distance ourselves from that very powerful and strong word. And even the, the, it's probably going to get too bad, but even the like barely whispered, this is so messed up. My brain says, but that's not a no. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't matter who's whispering it right now. Like somebody, you know, like there isn't a, okay, hey, how about we just make some s'mores? How about we just make some s'mores and chill? You know, like this whole thing. And that's when the next line goes. And this is why I think it's after it goes upon arrival, the guest all stairs dripping wet and clearly depressed. He headed straight for the stairs, no longer cool, but a boy in a sitch unprepared for life. Uh, a life full of lies and failing relationships. He keeps his hands low. Like the idea that after all of this, because mm. like in my head is like, it's the boy like bracing against the sheets. It's the boy barely whispering. It's the boy saying like, it's a victim, right? Like he goes upstairs, clearly depressed. Like this was not something that he wanted, but it was told it was something he needed to do, you know? And I just was like, oh, <laughs> ow. There's a few things I want to say about that. One, um, I'll, I'll, I just watched the film Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Nope. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't like it that much. But the the, the main character is uh, like a teenage girl who has her first – like early in the movie, she has her first sexual experience. Uh, and it's with an – you know, it's kind of similar to, to this song, I guess. It's with an older man, you know, and she's pretending to be older than she is. Mm -hmm. But they do it in a dugout, Ugh. like a dirty dugout of a baseball field, Gross. like, like a little league field. And like, I, I guess this is supposed to be funny, but like her first experience, her first experience ever, like lo losing her virginity is in a gross dugout. And she looks up at the like top of the, the dugout and she mm. sees like, you know, graffiti and the words are surf Nazis must die. <laughs> and she's like, my first time I'm only going to think about surf Nazis. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how stupid, you know, but also like traumatic, like yeah. you said. Yeah. I think that like, and then even just the following line that you already like, because this is, again, just hammering home the, the like, this is about growing up. And you did say this line already, but um, he gives her the up and down. Uh, he gives her the up and the down. Like, I'm supposed to be checking you out. I'm supposed to be liking this. His stomach turns as he thinks of throwing up, but it's... But, but the body on the bed beckons him forward and he starts growing up like this is your duty. You need to just suck it up and go. You need to swallow your bile and do the thing. Also, what if this kid's gay? What if a part of this is just like, ah, I'm supposed to like girls and do this? Maybe. Like all of that adds another level of trauma. But even without that, just kind of this like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. And then it goes straight into the chorus, which is. All, like half screaming, the fever, the focus, the reason that I had to believe you weren't too hard to sell. Die young and save yourself. He's, he's saying that to his 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 listeners. Yeah. 
Die young and save yourself. Yeah. Don't let this happen to you. Don't do it. <laughs> because it's traumatic for everybody. I, I will say, listening to you know to this and hearing that, it makes my own experiences a little less difficult you mm -hmm. know to work through because it's like ah this has happened to more people than just me yeah like being it's like, relatable it wasn't just me yeah. even right like the last part of it the tickle the taste of it used to be the reason i breathe and now it's choking me up like the idea like that you look forward to this portion of adulthood and i'm gonna take this out of this the like sex connotation but like as a kid there's a lot of things you're like i'm breathing for this like i'm i can't wait to get out of my parents house so i can have my own my own stuff and go to college and you go to college or don't go to college do what you want but you're out of them and you're like bills what are bills and then you're like oh, i can't wait until i have a job so i can take care of my bill and i can have a better place to live you get a better job and you're working grinding you're barely ever at your new apartment or home because you got to pay for it oh i can't wait until i have you know like these different things it's like it used to be the reason I breathe and now it's choking me up. And in this situation, like I used to be burning like a bridge for her body and now it's choking me up. Like it's yep. too much. It's more than I expected. I cannot, like it's thick and it's not air like I thought it was. And uh, uh, I love the song, but it's so much emotional. The next verse says, she hits the lights. This doesn't seem quite fair. Despite everything he learned from his friends, he doesn't feel so prepared. She's breathing quiet and smooth. He's, He's gasping, gasping for air. <laughs> he's 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 drowning in the sea. He's gra gasping for air. Yep. Uh, but also, despite everything he learned from his friends, he doesn't feel so prepared. I was like, relate to that one too, you mm -hmm. know? Because when you're a teenager uh, who is afraid to talk about this stuff with your parents or anybody, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like who has limited sexual education, yep. because that's just the way things go in public school. Yep. Uh, you have absolutely no idea what you're doing. And the only people you could turn to is your friends who have had similar situations, you know, and like even they don't have a lot of experience. So you're just like, well, here goes. <laughs> That's and, and you, you've learned very quickly how unprepared you are. Yeah. And you don't I'll know how to do anything. Nothing. I like want to like be like kids, talk to your kids about sex, but even if they're awkward about it. But it's like, what is that conversation look like? Yeah. I guess it really depends. I was like, if you're like, hey. Kids are going to have sex. I would like them to be able to be safe and know all the things, then have those conversations. But I think like even with what you're saying, I think typically people are like, guys talk about like girls talk about sex all the time. Like as a, a teen, this is primarily what I talked about with my um, friends as a 30 something woman still talk about with my friends. Right. Um, and so even with that, like the other side where it's just kind of like the women have like expectations themselves, not just like, oh, the guy needs to da da da, but like, oh, we need to be able to X, Y, and Z. And it's like so much, so much information, like where it's like, why do you think your friend would prepare yourself? Talk to your partner, <laughs> have conversations with your partner. Yeah, I'm so, it's just like, if, you do, if you're not prepared, it's so weird. It's like when you're not prepared and you fail to do like something, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, you blew it. 
You know, I think that's what the fear he keeps talking about. I don't want to blow this. I don't want to blow this. I know. I was this, like, you know? just keep saying I but, don't want to blow it. But like, there's like 40 different things that if you don't do it, it's, you're blowing it. You know, it kind of reminds me that that that, that for, the blo- to blow it. That's also in uh, American Pie, which is another one of those sex comedies that, oh, yeah. you know, I guess is kind of relatable for teenagers, you know, <laughs> because the main character in that movie has another he has a sexual experience. Uh, and he's clearly unprepared for it, mm-hmm. you know. And that the, the implications of that scene are very gross, yeah. Because he's live streaming it on the internet, but yeah, that was Crimes. horrible. But at the same time, this guy has absolutely no idea what he's doing, and he blows it. <laughs> yeah, and just like feeling, oh, I'm gonna be that loser. I'm gonna be da da da. And he like, is that loser. Talk. He yeah. is that loser. <laughs> the next part after the like, even though I really just even the imagery of she's, he doesn't feel. Uh, so prepared she's breathing quiet and slow he's gasping for air like the difference between that and then even as we talked about like perspective is everything like she may not be maybe she turned off the lights because she's freaking out she's like uh like blushing so hard and everything like that and And maybe she's and maybe she's like not maybe she's not just quiet and smooth but she's like literally like breathe in one two three hold one two three like trying to calm herself and he's just like oh oh, And who's to say that because he's so wrapped up in himself and he's like failing to perform because he's so like into, you know, he's so like neurotic about Mm -hmm. every little thing that's happening here. Who's to say she's not feeling like, oh, man, this guy's just not into me. You know, you know, it's it might be a blow to her self-esteem because he's because she's interpreting his like anxieties Mm -hmm. as like. You know, he's unattracted to her or he's uh, just not into her, you know, or just like whatever. Right. And the song doesn't even explore that at all because that's what dumb teenage boys are like. You know, they don't even consider like, oh, hey, you know, maybe I should reassure my partner that it's like, no, I want to do this. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm just like I'm a little nervous. I think even to that point, the next uh, couplet, this next set of couplets, this is the first and last time he says she fakes a smile and presses her hips into his the idea that you're just like, maybe she's interpreting that he's not into this. And he's like, this is the only time we're doing this. And she's like, oh, I guess he's not. So she fakes a smile and it's like, well, if this is my only shot, you know, like it could definitely be read that way. But also um, just like he hasn't even start. Well, OK, he's obviously started. He has an anxiety. Both. But like they're not they're not having sex yet. And he's already like, we're not doing this again. Like I see he was I, saying again, that in his head. He, it's quoted. I know, but I mean, who, who knows if he's just saying that to himself? Well, she also fakes a smile, and it says he says. Mm. I was <laughs> so like, that's I, a blow it moment right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, oh. and it's who like, knows what? You, like again, she, we don't know what she feels like, but that's a turnoff. I yeah. would assume, right? And yet again, right? It's not a no. So this keeps going. Mm. Ah. Ah, like how much more clear can you be? I mean, you can say no. That's another clear thing. But again, not feeling like the power to say no. And then hips, uh, he keeps his hands pinned down to his side. He's holding back from telling her exactly what it really feels like, which does not sound good. No. It doesn't sound good. It does not sound enjoyable. It does not sound like he wants to be here. And everything about this, even above when it's like lying on the bed, completely motionless, just starfishing, like just get this done. Uh, like this is just trauma. <laughs> this is horrible. This is trauma. It's like, like he wants to leave the situation, and so do I. Right. He's <laughs> like, I don't want to be here. He's like, I after this experience, I do not have sex. 
I did it. I don't want to do it again. Like that's have, literally what it is. I have a quote from Jesse Lacey, the guy who wrote the song, the singer, mm-hmm. uh, that I think is actually kind of like funny and relates to that. He says, Lacey, he said, quote, I figured that I wouldn't really have sex until either I was married or I knew I was with the right person. When you get to being 21, 22, 23 years old, it becomes this whole other thing. Like, well, what am I doing? Is this really important to me? And I think as teenagers, one builds way too many expectations on us, you know, on sex mm-hmm. in general, but especially your first time. Yeah. And all of that pressure, I think, leaves people disappointed no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's the whole point of like all those sex comedies that you watch, you know, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and mm-hmm. American Pie and all those movies. Like it's it the first time is always like a pretty horrible experience. Yeah. Like because they built too much pressure into it. Exactly. I think that's the thing. That he, yep, you said it. And there's nothing better about it. I think also, especially like being out of, like him saying 21, 22, 23, the expectation of society, if you're, I, it's probably different between being a man and a woman. Uh, but I could expect for a man, the idea is like, okay, bro, but why? Like, oh, you're waiting? Oh, that's weird. Or, you know, like, like okay, good for you. But also the... It's not something you lead with. So people are talking to you about, you know, like that's just a weird thing where you're just kind of like, yeah, am I doing, why am I doing this? I think it is always important to really know why you're doing something or not doing something. So, I mean, evaluate, but don't feel pressured just because like people around you say, you know, like, okay, let me just, and that's what this feels like. It's like, okay, I was going to wait for someone either for marriage or for someone I felt really connected to, but let's just get this out of way with a stranger. Like, yeah, that's like, what the oh, song they, feels like. Movies and, and songs, they all told me the spontaneity is part of the experience. Yeah. I guess this is it, right? Like, you know? people have one night stands all the time. It's like, okay, some people aren't built for that. Also, probably definitely not for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there are exceptions to the rules, but maybe don't go that way. <laughs> Die young and save yourself. Right. <laughs> Even, okay, like the line keeps going, right? Like he is the lamb, she is the slaughter. She's moving way too fast. All he wanted was to hold her. Nothing he tells her is really having an effect. He whispered that he loves her, but she's probably only looking for so much more than he could ever give. A life full of lies and meaningful relationships. Oh my gosh. He's in his head thinking about like, I love, do you know this girl? Like he's in, he he's trying to create in his mind at least some kind of thing to justify this. Like I can be close to her. I can do this for you. I can, because he feels like he is the lamb and she is the slaughter. That's what happens though. Like again, from my own past, you have a failed you have a failed relationship, mm-hmm. right? Rather than look inward, the person the, the your partner, the person who did this to you, they become the aggressor. It's like it's their fault, right? Yeah. So the, the he's the lamb to her slaughter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she's the wolf in his mind. It's like she yeah. did this. This is her fault because you you can't you have to project, you know, you have to deflect somehow, right? Yeah. And the, the only other party to, you know, deflect blame onto is the other person yeah so you know he may feel victimized here because she's the initiator in the sexual encounter but at the same time after it's all done you know all that all those like deflating feelings he feels you know Mm -hmm. you know 
guilt or failure or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, he's trying to say, well, it's not my fault. It's her fault. She did this to me. Yeah. And I think even in it, right, like him saying she's moving way too fast. All he wanted was to hold her. Like, if that's all you wanted, how are you in this situation? You know? And like, what is the miscommunication? That's a, that is a wild miscommunication. Like. Yeah. It's also one that happens. Yeah. Okay. From from my experience, it's like I was never the per- like, you know, in my first relationship, I was never the person who wanted to take things this far, right? But if you don't communicate with your partner and mm-hmm. say, "Listen, I'm not ready for that yet." It, the, the there's the assumption is, "Oh, I guess we're moving in that direction because I haven't said anything." Yeah. You know, you have to say stuff because you have to. the other person, they if they're not if they don't if that boundary is not established they're going to continue to press on through mm-hmm. the boundaries because mm-hmm. you haven't established them communication is important so if he didn't communicate if he didn't say to her hey listen this is we're going too fast i kind of just want to like hold you know yeah. like, i don't know or i want to i don't want to you know i just want to hold hands and kiss you know <laughs> that's not a standard she established for herself yeah because you didn't say anything so yeah. she uh, she might assume no, this is where we're going. Yeah. You know, and the fact that you're not into it, like it becomes, you know, becomes an issue. Yeah. I kids who are still listening to this say no if it's a no and move away and get away. And if you can't get away, we're not even going to go there. Say no. I'm going to say this at the end too. like communicate. No, if things are going way, way past where you want them to be. Yeah. And if that means, listen, if you say Hey, listen, I'm not ready for this. I don't, I don't, and she says, well, I am. Maybe this isn't the right relationship. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where you feel obligated to go this far if you don't want to. Just because doing so will maintain this relationship. That's probably just the mere fact that she's ready and you're not. That is reason enough to maybe end this relationship. Put it on Put it on the shelf if you need to. Yeah. Or, or just say, hey, listen, you guys aren't meant for each other right now. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's more than okay. It's better for you and you are not a failure or a loser or anything if you're like, I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready. (laughs) If I came to your house and was like, hey, get in my car. We're leaving. And you're like, I don't have pants on. I don't care. I'm ready to go. You're not going to leave the house with no pants on. It's fine to take the time you need to get ready. Another ride will come along. (laughs) Okay. It was like the the last part of that says he whispers that he loves her, but she's probably only looking for my lyrics. Stop. Yeah. It's like S. Yeah. You know, so I can only assume what he was about to say was looking for someone else, not me. Oh, I always assumed it was sex. Oh, maybe. But that's why they cut it off. Like the everything. There's no mention. Like it does not say sex one time. This like we obviously know what it's about, but it does not outright say anything. It's like a Rorschach test right there. But I was like, yours makes sense given the context, but also like as someone who has been in a situation like Mm -hmm. this and you're in your head, you're like, oh man, she, you know, you get the imposter syndrome. She's like, oh man, she's not into me. She's, Mm -hmm. she's, you know, she's going to find someone she's look, you know, she's going to find someone better soon anyway. So you might as well take advantage of this moment while it's here because she's going to move on. And, you know, again, when you're in your head and you assume your partner is not into you and is probably going to move on to someone else. That also is, you know, it's going to create issues. Yeah. Ugh. And then <laughs> we've been talking about the song for so long. and I'm, I was, There's just so much. But even 
again, I think this is the last time they say it, but I realize as I'm reading it, it's the third time they're saying some rendition of he keeps his hands pinned down to his sides. He waits for it to end and the aching in his guts to subside. Like, okay, we're not even going to touch even more about just, just communicate. You're not ready. But like, there's so much talk about like hands being pinned to the sides and like not moving that, ugh, I don't know. Man. I think that just denotes like inaction, right? Like, yeah. Just kind of like submission, you know, not in the, not in the sexy way. Yeah. <laughs> but in the, like, I am just submitting myself to this moment here, you know, like yeah. resigned to it. It it speaks of tension because it's not mm-hmm. like resting. It's pinned. Yeah. It's tense like you're yeah. curled tight like this is mm. i'm performing or i'm like you know i'm i'm just yeah it's like fetal position almost you know i'm in protective mode yeah and then just before the final chorus it says um the act becomes the art of growing up it's true is it i think so i was like experiences like this in a lot of ways, it's like, man, I, re- you know, again, I'm speaking for myself. I really wish I didn't have these experiences. I wish I didn't have to go through this. But in a lot of ways, like, this is how you learn and grow. Yeah. You have bad experiences like this as a child, you know, and like, that's part of growing up. A young man. Sorry, just don't say child. Young man. <laughs> People do have these experiences, childs, children. But young man. yeah, and it's just the act becomes the art of growing up. I think the way, way act can be used, right? Like, as in like the action you are taking becomes the art of growing up, but also the character you're playing is the art of growing up. The false thing that you mm. were portraying is how you grow up. You grow up to put a mask on. The song is so sad. The song is so sad but that's and beautiful. T- being a teenager is sad. This is true, but we can't skip it. I mean, you could be in a coma and then wake up, but you'll have the brain of a teenager and the age and body of an adult that sounds that sounds like 13 going on 30 born sexy and i hate yesterday. that movie huh born sexy, born sexy yes- yesterday <laughs> oh man is that all we have to say about sick transit gloria <sighs> uh, is that all we have to say about brand new are we done <laughs> Ma- max fisher grow up and what is it max fisher die young and save yourself <laughs> save us all <laughs> just let bill murray take the lead oh my gosh oh well, that was a lot Hey, kids, welcome back from that segment you missed. Hey. So uh, the next song we're talking about, uh, a little less uh, heavy, I think. Yeah. You, we, we chose this one strictly for the music, yeah. I think, for the most part. The song is called Good to Know That If I Ever Need Attention, All I Have to Do Is Die. let me choose this one mm. you gave me some choices and i chose this one mostly because the the opening the, the music like th- this song reminds me of like Soundgarden or something mm. like a grunge song yeah you know so it doesn't really fit the the 
emo, emo post hardcore sound. It's this is more like a grunge song. You know, yeah. it's kind of throwback. So I, I I like it musically. It sounds good. And like you know, Soundgarden was always really angsty. What what, mm-hmm. what did we call him? <laughs> Frown Garden. Frown Garden. This is a <laughs> Frown Garden song. You know, kind of like the the emo. I guess like emo grunge, right? Mm-hmm. That I I posit that we call emotional grunge songs Frown Garden songs. <laughs> Get that out there in the zeitgeist. <laughs> mm, I love those frown garden songs. Oh man, what a frown garden that is! Wow. <laughs> let me garden your frown garden. <laughs> let me let me water your frown garden. <laughs> if you need a song title, there there's one. Let me water your frown garden. <laughs> sounds sounds terrible, actually. Anyway, uh, what's this song about? Writing. <laughs> Writing. Uh, I think it's about, um, like, asserting yourself. Like, I don't know. This was one of the songs that was, like, I only, there was only one bit that I highlighted that I was just kind of like, I like the sound of it, but I don't know. What is it about to I, you? I looked it, well, I looked it up. Great. So I know what they think it's about. It's a song that criticizes the music industry. Oh, well, that's fair. Quote, when managers, labels, agents, and lawyers get their claws on the prize money. So uh, maybe it is about you asserting yourself. It's like asserting your own power yeah. over your art. I did say both music and asserting yourself, so I think I win. There you go. <laughs> Am I correct to defend the fist that holds this pen? Me, the songwriter? Right. It's ink that lies, the pen, the page, the paper. I live, I learn. You will always take what I have earned and so aid my end while I believe I'm winning. Hey, just real quick. Do you think we can talk to the Writers Guild of America to use the song as, um, because I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we are at the time of recording, the writer strike is still going strong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's about people asserting themselves. Yeah, I'm sitting the... here like, am I correct to defend the fist to hold this pen? Yes. You write all the good goods. <laughs> good goods. <laughs> Do it. But it's... like, think about it. Like, this is the the tragedy of an artist. Yeah. In the mu- in music, you know, I know they're talking specifically about music, but a lot of the time it's like the creative mind has to constantly negotiate the fact that they are making art and they're making a product. Yeah. There's, um, I was just rewatching one of my favorite uh, Korean dramas that literally is probably supposed to be my 2021, but I'm going to lie about it when we get to 2020 because I want to talk about Itoan class. But this other one, there's specifically a scene in it where um, there's like a CEO and she wants uh, an artist to do a painting for her and he's like yeah bet I'm gonna do it but he's like an art student he's got stuff going on and also this is his first time doing a commission or something and he's just taking too long for her she shows up at his studio is like yelling at him and he's like he was like he liked her but like is really seeing this thing in her and he's like I'm not a vending machine. And she's like, yes, you are. Give me my stuff. And it's just berating her. Mm. And to the point he picks up his palette and smears it all over the painting that's almost done, throws it around. She's like, was that my painting? She's like, it's mine. She was like, "It, no, it's mine. He's like, I am the artist. He's like, I know that. No, you don't. You don't understand. He said, 
I am the artist. The painting is mine until I hand it to you. So you need to know your spot. And I was just like, huh! I was watching it for the fourth, third or fourth time. And I was like, yeah, man, I feel that real hard. And that's what this is, right? Where it's like, no, except it's not like when I hand it, like I have the rights, my name is on this. This is my thing. I'm allowing you the privilege <laughs> of promoting it and getting a cut of stuff when I'm like doing well, but this is mine. And yep. I think you're forgetting that. Yep. You you will always take what I have earned, right? And that's like, you know, he's talking about everybody who's financial has a financial stake in his art, right? Mm -hmm. he, he mentioned managers, labels, agents, lawyers, you know, promoters. So, you know, so like it's like he's so many. Yeah, so <laughs> many people who are make you know, making their living off what he creates. Yeah. Um, but he also says, You aid my end while I believe I'm winning, right? And I think he's speaking as a person who's maturing within the music industry. So mm -hmm. it's like a young artist, you know, a young musician is going to be like, this is great. Look how much money we're making compared to what we were making before, which was nothing from our garage. Yeah. Right. Wow. This is great. And then you suddenly realize it's like, oh, I'm being taken advantage of. Yeah. It reminds me of like. The in boy band machine. The, the boy man machine. We, yeah. we watched a documentary about uh, NSYNC, Backstreet, Backstreet Boys, Boys and uh, Lou Pearlman. Mm -hmm. And it's like. They were living large until they realized that 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 their manager had been stealing all their money yeah. and leaving them with nothing, you know. Yeah. So it's like they they tease you, you know. Mm -hmm. they, they oh look at look at all this money. Look at look at you what you can afford now, and then you know slowly you realize oh you're the carrot you're you're you're, you're exploiting me. You're taking yeah 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 the, yeah, the yeah. carrot and the stick. Yep, that's like that's what's happening. Yep. And the next verse says, "Our friends speak out in our defense." I pay 10 deaf ears for two months rent. We burn the gallows they erect and cut the nooses they tie up for our necks. That was like the only part that I highlighted because I was like, Ooh. <laughs> I mean, the gallows they erect, the nooses they tie around our neck. Yeah, you know, they're talking about like contracts. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I'm also thinking maybe this is because of the grunge connection, right? But I'm thinking about what led Kurt Cobain to take his life, right? Mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain was a troubled guy, you know, and he had addiction problems and all that. But at the same time, I think he was also dealing with the fact that I'm being exploited. My art is being exploited. I've become a, a you know, a shadow of my former self. Yeah. You know, I've become a, a, I'm a, I'm a pop culture icon. Yeah. You know, I'm not a person anymore, mm -hmm. you know? So in a lot of ways, like the music industry, they built the gallows yeah. for him. They built the noose that tied around his neck, right? It's like, they did that to him in a way. And I think some people would say like, that's the tragedy of Kurt Cobain is he's a victim of the music industry. Yeah. And so for these young emotional guys, they can't help but be, they feel like they've been set up to fail by mm -hmm. the music industry. But I mean, like, it's good they're seeing it. You know, I think that that, like, the calling out of it is, and it's interesting because this is their second album as this band, <laughs> you know? Um, but having pro played in a band previous and like seeing what it is on the indie side and like being able to like, Oh, we're doing this for a while. And we really love this. We have some kind of following to like where they are now where they're just kind of like 
we toured for three years for two years on one album and it was fun we met a lot of people but it was probably a lot you know like nope go here now no two days you're gonna be now over here let's let's go back breakneck and the like idea that it's just kind of like i see the gallows you're leading me to we will burn them <laughs> like but no i your contract means nothing to me or not means nothing like i will wait my time out i will not sign again you know these kind of things of being able to see like how to avoid that end that's what prince did yeah he took his name from him yeah now, um the the line i pay 10 deaf ears for two months rent right I now huh i didn't know what that meant but i thought it was pretty so i'm thinking 10 deaf ears are meaning like 10 random executives that aren't listening to me oh like they're not paying attention to my needs or my thoughts and perspective hmm. so i'm paying these 10 losers <laughs> you know i pay so much like i pay like you know 10 executives or 10 businessmen what they're owed, right? In quotes, owed. Mm -hmm. You know, so who knows what they they get paid, right? Those ten guys, right? Right. So that's that's a lot of money, and all, the only thing I get in return is two months rent, which in perspective is not a lot of money. No. You know, like rent's high. Rent is high. Rent is high, but like, but that's, two months of it. Yeah, it's not a lot of money. So it's like, yeah, I I get two months rent, but I have to pay off these ten big wigs yeah. who aren't listening to me. Yeah. That's the frustrating part. Yeah. And uh, one of the next lines is, you constantly make it impossible to make conversation, keep us comatose, but audible. And I like it the farther I get out. The line, keep us comatose, but audible, reminds me of the album and film the wall by pink floyd mm -hmm. which is another in part album about living in the music industry mm -hmm. the main character of that album is named pink his name is pink floyd Get it? Ah, oh. no he is at one point in the story exploited by his managers to get out and perform but the problem is it's like he is deeply troubled emotionally mm -hmm. like he is emotionally cut off like disassociated from reality but like they are like well we're gonna Shoot you up with some kind of stimulant. We're going to get you out on stage so you can perform and continue to make us money. Ugh. So it's like, we are going to control you. We want to keep you like comatose and just kind of like passive and mm -hmm. agreeable for our needs. But we need you to at least sing. We need you to sing and write songs, you know, so we need you to be audible, but comatose. Yeah. So it's almost we, this contradiction. It's we like, just need, we just need your body. <laughs> it's like, hey, write beautiful songs and have something to say. Just don't say dust. <laughs> you know, just be quiet. Yeah. Tuss. Yeah. You can say whatever you want, unless we have something we want you to say. And I get the last verse I highlighted is we slip concealed back to the keep, concede to do the work for free. We pray as wolves among the sheep and slit the neck of soldiers while they sleep.
I don't have a lot to say about that necessarily other than that that that's pretty strong language yeah yeah it's the like that's fine we low we will lull you into a false sense of security and then we will kill you <laughs> like yikes yes yeah, so he's this is speaking from the perspective of the music industry right it's like we're the we're the ones as wolves among the sheep i think so I also could read this maybe as like brand new speaking as like we're now part of this machine too. Mm. And it's sort of like a like a Ponzi scheme or like a MLM where it's like we're now setting up younger bands to be exploited so that we can step over them. Mm. You know, it's like it's like they suffer so that we can succeed kind of thing. You know, it's like you have to step on smaller people to get higher in this business. And that's another thing you have to negotiate and reconcile with. Yeah. And then get to the point where like, well, I paid my dues, so you do too, which is horrible. Yep. So it's like they're becoming monsters too. It's like they, they've become the wolves. Yeah, it could definitely be read like that. I don't think I read it like that um, at first. Yeah, I just, um, yeah, just kind of stumbled upon like, that oh, right now. You're like, oh, it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think like looking up a little bit before that, it kind of does that. Like the, I like it the farther I get out. Once said, always said, I will hold the past over your head. Uh, I will speak my mind whenever I feel slighted. I am hell bent on extracting all of my revenge. So take heart, sweetheart, or I will take it from you. So in that, I feel like it's a little bit more to the, to the like, all right, fine, I'm planning my revenge. Sure, I will sit here and I will be quiet while I'm still under contract. But oh man, once I'm not and those NDAs expire. <laughs> Yep. But yeah. yeah. I don't have a whole lot to other. I also don't. Like it's it's this. really nice to like listen to, but uh lyrically it's it's one of the besides the first part where you're like, "Oh yeah, you do deserve your you you're doing the art." Um I think other than that, it's l lyrically harder to relate to just because we're in much like they're so good at being like, "Yeah, I feel like if we played this for one of our friends who like is trying to get in the music industry or some of our friends that are in the music industry, the industry, they would feel this in the same way we felt uh, sick Gloria transit. Yeah. I said that backwards. Um, and so I think that that's interesting that we can still like feel something for it, but because it is such a specific worldview that it will definitely resonate with other people uh, like musicians probably way more. Yeah. So this song is dream theater length. <laughs> it's like seven minutes long for some reason. Or it's like where Dream Theater will make the most of those seven minutes with epic guitar solos that change and keyboard solo and, mm -hmm. and they, you know, time signatures and all that. They this do song, that too. This song essentially ends at like three minutes, 10 seconds, and it has a guitar solo that is incredibly monotonous. <laughs> Let me play that because it just, it is four minutes of the same thing over and over again. Let's play four minutes of it. Let's go. I'm sitting there like, if I just had this on in the background, I wouldn't be bothered by it. You know, yeah. it's like very unoffensive, mm -hmm. inoffensive. But 
actively listening to it and like trying to take notes on it. I was like, this is such a boring guitar <laughs> solo. <laughs> it just goes to show the kind of music I like, you know, yeah. like that Dream Theater stuff. It's like, I, I like that where this guitar solo is like, it's like they're just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So just yeah. wanted to gripe about that a little bit. This album's not perfect. <laughs> yeah. This song did not need to be seven minutes. It didn't. This, this song could have been a nice five, five, you know, five minute long. That would have been great, but it just kept going. Yeah. Anyway, next song. Last song? Last song. Last song we're going to talk about is called Guernica. very modern sounding mm -hmm. like the, 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 this is of its time yeah this song uh guernica named after the pablo picasso painting his like probably the most famous painting right mm -hmm. maybe i don't actually know <laughs> 1937 oil painting uh depicting the spanish civil war ah as he saw it so uh what's this song about losing someone to a disease yep it was reportedly written about jesse lacy's grandfather and his struggle with cancer yeah so Rest yeah. in peace, but I assumed it was cancer, but I was like, let's just say disease. Could be. Yeah, so this, that's what this is about, you know. Yeah. It's very obviously about that. But I think that's interesting. Does it does does he have any statements that he uh, about his grandpa? Mm -mm. Not well, okay, that I could find. Keep him keep your life private if that's what you prefer. I will say, like, that I think changes how I was reading it. Um, he was close to his grandpa, I assume. Like, it's a what? Okay. I don't know. I mean, it was, he, he was close enough to write a song about his grandpa. Like, I mean, we had a song about a stepfather. <laughs> they yeah, weren't close. Yeah, but, that, but he was like, he felt something like yeah. strong. He had a strong emotion one way or the other about yeah. that, you know, his, his stepdad. But yeah. it's like when my grandpa passed, it's like I, I wasn't close enough for me to write a song, write a song about it uh, yeah. in any way. What's the first line of this song? Ever since I was young. Your word was the word that always won. Ever since I was young, your word is the word that always won. Worrying wake the ones you love. A phone call I'd rather not receive. Please use my body while I sleep. My lungs are fresh and yours to keep. Kept clean and they will let you breathe. Um, which... Again, reading it, because like, I think I was reading it more negatively and more like a, I don't know. So this this is an, this is an interesting thing because that's not necessarily a positive statement. Your, your word was the word that always won. Um, that's true. Yeah. So that's why I was like reading this. I was like, are you sad? This like going through, like when you get to the end, it's clear the, the person, uh, the character of this song is grieving yeah. and doesn't want this. But like the beginning threw me off because I was just kind of like, <laughs> well, maybe that doesn't sound positive to me. It could be that, hey, you, your 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 advice was valued. You know, it's like, you were always right, Grandpa. You yeah, like which you, I totally get. Like, that's why I was like, I'm reading a little bit like softer. Your word was the word that always runs. You're, you're the patriarch or whatever, uh, but could be in a kind way. Um, you're, uh, but then the next one was like, worry and wake the ones you love. A phone call I'd rather not receive. Please use my body while I sleep. My lungs are fresh 
uh, and yours to keep. And I think that I was like, with the, your word was always the one that won. And then this kind of like, you're, you're worrying us and you're keeping us a lot. And then like, please use my body as I sleep. I was like, this feels like bad. <laughs> it just felt bad. But then when it's just thinking through like, uh, someone older dying of a dis disease, even though I knew it was something like that. The idea that like, uh, please use my body while I sleep sounds like, Hey, I'm going to give you, um, a kidney. I'm going to give you these things. Like yeah. put me under so that you can use this kind of thing. Like I'm going to do whatever I can. Like, you know, like there's just so much really pretty language in here, but I wasn't sure if it was like positive or negative. It still go either way, but at least since it sounds more, I don't know. <laughs> it's emotionally complex. I think that's yeah. the thing. Like it captures that element of mourning and grief. You know, yeah. it's like, it's an emotionally complex time. Sometimes it's not just, I feel sad. So yeah. I, have, I have conflicting feelings about this. Yeah. I, I highlighted the phrase, is this the way a toy feels when its batteries run dry? I am the watch you always wear, but you forget to wind. Is this the way a toy feels when its batteries run dry? And though those lines specifically, I was just like, it feels like this eye is being used. But upon reading through it with like, this is specifically about someone. Um, it's so it's so sad because it feels like after the lines right before it, please use my body while I sleep. My lungs are fresh and yours to keep kept clean and they will let you breathe. Is this the way a toy feels when its batteries run dry? Looking at your grandfather, like that that's about your grandfather. No. That like use my, my lungs are fresh for you. Is this what it is when your lungs, the toy, the battery runs dry? I'm the watch you always wear, but you forget to wind. Like you forget to take care of your body, even though you're with it all the time. I'm kind of reading that I am the watch you wear, but you always forget to wind as in like, I am talking to you. I feel powerless because like, you know, it's like I, I have a function and it's like, ha I have power and utility that, but I can't use it in this moment. You know, mm. there's nothing I can do to help this dying man. You know, there's nothing practically I can do. Okay, I'm like okay. a dead watch. Yeah. That's just there. Yeah. Mm. It's like, I have no function. I'm just here, you know, just cosmetic and there's nothing practical I can do or effective. Yeah. And then that following with the very next slide, which is so sad. Nobody plans to be half a world away at times like these. <laughs> I could imagine him like being on the road, right? Like, and there's like no way to get back as this is happening. Mm. I don't know if you're like watching like, let's say his grandpa's comatose, right? In the mm -hmm. hospital bed. He's just standing there. It's like, what do you do? If you just yeah. sit here and you're just like, how do you like emotionally like connect with everyone else in the room who's also grieving? And you're just sitting there just like, I can imagine, like, it's the thing. It's like, I can imagine just being kind of bored, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, is that appropriate? Like, I'm, I'm kind of just bored sitting in this hospital room, sitting next to this, you know, this dying man, you know? And it's like, yeah, I want to be here emotionally with everyone else in the room, but like, I'm kind of checked out. Yeah. I think that, um, when literally mom, if you're listening, skip when my grandfather died, 
um, it was very much, uh, he was hooked up machines and honestly the humane thing to do was to let him go and being in that situation where the only thing you could do was call the end. Like the idea of like a watch that has stopped and you have to call the time. Um, and being around like all those high emotions, like in varying degrees, because grief looks different on everybody. It is hard, right? Because you're like, what is my function then? Right? I think we all have different functions in a family. I think that like, obviously, not obviously, but my function in my family tends to be the comforter or the person to take charge in times like, like, like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and in this particular situation, that was not my role. And so it, it, it was very much like, what am I, what am I, what am I doing here? Because I personally, you know, this, like I hate being a place where things are happening and I'm not helping. Like it just compounds my anxiety, my like, like it's almost a fear response in it. Like I would like to remove myself from the situation yeah. Um, because like, I cannot be helpful. I'm just in the way. And I think that like, there definitely are just some people are like, I like, there's nothing I can do. So I need to leave or I need to like, what am I going to do? I think that like specifically with this, because he's not in the room, like, what do you do? <laughs> you know, like when yeah. you're just not there and you're just worrying about the people who are there, how they're handling it, um, what they may need and knowing that you're not going to be able to make it. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> like he's sitting alone, uh, which is like what the next part is. Uh, so I sat alone and waited out the night. The best part of what happened was the part I must have missed. So I'm asking you to shine it on and stick around. I'm not writing my goodbyes. That's incredibly sad. <laughs> um, I, I'm i not sure what the, the line, like the best part of what has happened was the part I must have missed. I'm not sure what that part is, but like the idea that like I'm sitting alone with maybe the memories of some good times that I used to have with no one here to comfort me um, and no one to comfort myself. And just kind of almost sending up like a prayer or a demand to the universe, right? Like saying like, I'm asking you to stick around so that I can get there because I'm not writing my goodbyes. Again, going back to my grandpa, I'm so sorry. Like my dad um, was told about it and he lives hours away in traffic. And there was like end of day, so much traffic. And he was like, I'm going to be there. And it was like two hours later, he was still probably another two hours away because traffic. And my aunts called and said like, hey, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pull the plug. So you like, you can, you can turn around. Thanks for trying to come. And he's like, no, like, even if you do, like, I'm going to come And that like kind of thing being like, even though he was like going to be writing his goodbyes, he wasn't going to be able to say them while my grandpa was still here. 
the point was to like get there. And that's that kind of feeling where it's just kind of like just a little bit longer. I know there's literally nothing I can do. I know that if you hang on long enough for me to be there to say my goodbyes, it is gonna be painful for you. It is, is it even gonna be worth it so that I can get closure when you are just going to be even more like harrowed? Like, but that's what he's asking for because this is like how his grief is, you know? Yeah. Where it's just like, I didn't plan to be half a world away. Like you, you, I maybe the like, uh, the good part was what I missed. Maybe he went into remission for a little bit and then it just came back with a vengeance. And you know, like, uh, I don't know. Going it, back to uh, that dream theater song we talked about, Vacant, mm -hmm. where James LeBrie is watching his, yeah. his d daughter in a coma, you know, like the powerlessness yeah. of that situation, I think is also evident here. You know, you're just like, you're just powerless. You yeah. know, you don't know how to feel. It's like you're powerless in the face of, death you know but you're also powerless in the face of like depression and mourning from those around you you know mm -hmm. it's like you, there's nothing you can do to like make other people feel better really you yeah. know if you it's easy to at least feel that way like oh there's nothing i can do to help people move through this you know they got to do it themselves but the line uh if i could shrink myself sink through your skin into your blood cells remove whatever makes you hurt but i am too weak to be your cure you know, I think that also expresses kind of like the powerlessness of one's yeah. place in this moment, you know, it's like, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, it also skews him really young. Like, obviously, the man writing this is not, <laughs> you know, uh, like 12 or something, but this reading this like is one of those things like that made me think of the magic school bus. Like yeah. there are specific episodes where like Frankie or Freddie or somebody has like a cold and they're like, oh, we want our friend to feel better. So they shrink down and they go in and they kill all the germs. And then he's like, oh, I'm feeling better. I'm not stuffy and stuff like that to like be sitting there alone and being like, I wish I had a Miss Frizzle. I wish I could go in your body and find the cancerous cells. I wish that we could do that, but I'm too weak to be your, uh. Yeah. Like this kind of like helplessness that you just like, there's nothing else. Like all the things that I wish I could do, but I, there's no way I can. I am just a man. Mm. That's all you got? <sighs> I think so. Because uh, audio wise, I can play you some bona fide screamo. Uh, <laughs> screaming in this song is definitely worth it. That's a perfect use of scream. So like the scream, yeah, you're right. The screaming there, I think it definitely punctuates the uh, the emotions felt. It's like yeah. it's just this lashing out, you know, trying to find meaning in this whole situation, yeah. trying to like, I want to help you, but I can't, you know, yeah. it's just guttural sounds. Yeah. <laughs> All I can is yeah. Because like, I mean, have you ever been in a situation that like caused that response? It doesn't necessarily need to be. I'm sure I have. I can't think of one off oh the top gosh. of my head, though. I feel I feel I often feel impotent in my life. Mm. And I just like need to go to a place where there's no one else. Just scream until my voice breaks. Like it doesn't feel good. It doesn't fix anything. But it's like a release of this pent up energy of being unable of not being enough, to be specifically honest. Yeah. Of just not being enough for whatever the situation is. 
and knowing that that has to be okay, even if it's never going to be okay. Yeah. And that is where we leave everyone with Deja and Tendu <laughs> sad. Hey, kids. We said it was going to be emotional. Emotional damage. <laughs> Do you recommend Deja and Tendu? Yeah. I was like, I do too, I guess. <laughs> it's good. Like, I'm, this is not my favorite type of music. That's but, true. But I was like, there's a lot here. And I, th I think it is one of those like, yeah, you probably should listen to this album. You know, yeah. it's important. <laughs> yeah. I think like they, if you're not a person who like goes through something and like hears it the first time, listen to it a second time. Because I think that like musically, it's it's cool. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I was trying to avoid using the word fine, but I lyrically is really where it gets its chutzpah. Yeah. Like the, the lyrics alone, I think make it worth it. You know, I was like the, the songwriting in this album is like top notch. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jesse Lacey is a very, very good songwriter lyricist. Yeah. After I listened to this, I was like, oh, I need to go listen to one of their more recent albums. But I was like, oh, I probably should have started after 2003 just like to see how they slowly transformed. Yeah. But what did the world think? Oh, what indeed. Deja and Tendu debuted at number 63 on the Billboard 200. After just seven weeks, the album sales were at more than 51,000 copies already closing in on the total figures of its predecessor, Your Favorite Weapon. All right. In May 2007, four years after it was released, it was certified gold, surpassing 500,000 sales in the United States by the RIAA. So, good job, gold. Brandon. It's two singles The Quiet Things That No One Ever Knows and Sick Transit Gloria Glory Fades both reached the top 40 in the United States single chart and earned MTV airplay, as he talked about. It's true. The album received very positive reviews upon release, and it has since been placed on numerous lists as one of the greatest albums of the decade and one of the greatest albums from the emo genre. Yeah. Rock Sound praised Deja and Tendu's, quote, slow burn appeal and genre defining quality. Pitchfork complimented its, quote, air of substance and maturity. And IGN called it, quote, probably the best underground release this year. Wow. I didn't hear a single bad review. Usually you like hunt for those. Let's see. I have one more. Rolling Stone praised the album, quote, Deja and Tendu is an emo masterpiece if there ever was one, applying the intensity of post hardcore and oddly sexy grooves to sophisticated and passionate songwriting. So, yeah. Only good things to say. I feel like we should definitely have a award in, award in the QQs for that. Maybe. <laughs> Deja and Tendu ranked number 43 on Loudwire's 50 Greatest Pop Punk Albums, number 25 on Sputnik Music's Top 100 Albums of the 2000s, number 21 on Rock Sound's 101 Modern Classics, and number 19 on Rolling Stone's 40 Greatest Emo Albums of All Time. And that's all I got. They did really well. Yeah. This is a very... Well-received album. Yes. Probably, I was going to say probably the best, but we've talked about Michael Jackson. <laughs> but where did Brand New go from here? Because we're not talking about Brand New anymore. We are not. Well, with the success of Deja and Tendu, the band made its live television debut on Jimmy Kimmel Live in September 2003, headlined a 24-date U.S. tour with... Monine, Senses Fail, and The Beautiful Mistake toured alongside Newfound Glory, Good Charlotte, Dashboard Confessional, and Blink-182, headlined the 2003 Bamboozle Festival with My Chemical Romance, Alkaline Trio, and more, and found itself in the middle of a bidding war from record labels. Oh, wow. So they had a great success after this album dropped. Yeah. Touring yeah, with did. the biggest bands of the era. I didn't hear a single other song by them. It was like some of these bands... 
Good Charlotte, Newfound Glory, <laughs> Dashboard Confessional. My Kev, just everybody was in this party. The who's who of the emo. After signing with DreamWorks Records, later acquired by Interscope Records, the band took a brief hiatus before returning to the studio in early 2005 to record their third album. The band also added keyboardist Derek Sherman to the lineup. The album The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me <laughs> released in late 2006 and was oh. a commercial and critical success. Wow. I'm going to listen to it, but that is a title indeed. After years of touring and extensive studio time, Brand New released their fourth album, Daisy, in 2009. Though it sold even better than previous records, reception was mixed. Hmm. Amidst rumors that Daisy would be their final album release, Brand New maintained that they were recording new material for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I was reading their biography, and it was like, every couple months, we're writing new music. The next album's coming out. It's coming out. It's it coming is. out <laughs> for eight years. It was that. Wow. Meanwhile, Derek Sherman departed the band in 2013. Goodbye, Derek. Bye, Derek. The band did release a few singles and continued to tour, but a new album wouldn't see the light of day until 2017 hey. with the release of Science Fiction. They did it. The album was met with widespread critical acclaim and was a commercial success, becoming Brand New's first album to debut at number one on the Billboard 200. Wow. Yep. I mean, I guess it's nice to wait for it. But Brand New's future seemed uncertain by the end of 2017. During a performance in October of that year, Jesse Lacey stated, quote, We're going to be a band for about 14 more months, so thank you so much for being here tonight. Oh, okay. But that 14 months fully diminished in November 2017, when Lacey was accused of sexual misconduct occurring during the early and mid-2000s. I don't want to look up the details. Nope. Thanks. He issued a public apology on Brand New's Facebook page, and the band later announced the postponement of all of their upcoming tour dates, all of which were never rescheduled. Oh, wow. Brand New has remained publicly inactive ever since, neither confirming nor denying their breakup. Brand New is considered broken up as of May 2023. Okay. Brand New is recognized as one of the most influential bands of the 2000s emo scene, celebrated for making artistic statements with their music and that is brand new a a the ended with a whimper yeah <laughs> it's the way things go unfortunately but who won um i'm going to say i did even so, with that ending i'm like i'm torn here mm -hmm. the lyrics of brand new are clearly better than the lyrics of dream theater yes but the music the instruments on Dream Theater are clearly better than Brand New. Sure. So I say a tie. Fine, I'll give you a tie. Hey, it's but a tie. But you always win when it's a Dream Theater tie. I don't know. Brand New might be popular. We'll see. We'll see. You can vote for yourself when we put up a poll on Twitter or on Instagram, at Media Mate Show. Yep. But as we all know, one cannot judge a music album on the music alone. One can only judge a book by its cover. Because... Something that we always do is we decide which album had the better album artwork. Mm -hmm. So I've given you the album covers for Train of Thought by Dream Theater. And, I hate it. And Deja and Tendu. Uh, I do not like <laughs> the Dream Theater one. What is it? It is the end of a tunnel and uh, you're standing in a dark tunnel. Uh, and a secret tunnel. 
I don't want to be in the secret tunnel. And on the outside, there are trees. It's all done in black and white gradients. Um, and there is an eye on the ground. Just an eyeball. Just an eyeball. You don't even like eye stuff. It's just an eyeball in the middle of the ground looking at you from the other side of this. I would turn around. This is not a spirit a way that I want to. It's very dark, surreal. Yeah, it's not great. Um, and it says dream theater across the top, like on a brick tunnel and uh, the title of the album at the bottom. Train of thought. Yes. So if you had to guess what the medium of this album cover is, like what 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 type of art is it? Like what what was used to make this artwork? Photoshop. What if I told you that was a photograph? That that album artwork was created just with photography. Oh no. I don't I don't want you to tell me that. Yeah, this is this artwork actually existed before. It was not made for Dream Theater. Oh. It was a portion of the 1997 photography piece Memories of Max Ernst by photographer Jerry Ulsman. Jerry Ulsman is famous for using the using various darkroom techniques to develop multiple photos at once mm-hmm. to create like a collage of images. Mm. So that's all photography. He did that all in camera and then in the dark room. I don't like it. I don't like it's it. It's like he only exposes certain I yeah, I get that. I get that. Certain the pieces of the film, but... yeah. So it's actually like kind of cool, but what what happened was Mike Portnoy wanted to commission Ulsman to create a new piece of artwork for the album. Mm-hmm. But he, but but Ulsman had already retired, so Dream Theater was allowed to pick and choose from his collection of already published artwork hmm. to repurpose a piece of art for their album cover, and so that's they, cool. They, they chose this one. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's striking. I think it's a pretty cool looking album cover. I, I don't like eyeballs, but I think this is like this is a very striking image. I will give you that. I would like to strike it down and strike it from my eyes. Let's scroll over, and then we got brand new Deja and Um, This one is much more co- colorful. Uh, it is of a spaceman. Spaceman. A spaceman floating above a very blue sea it, with the back, a nebulous background around them um, in reds and golds and oranges uh, with some space debris flying around them. And above it, it says brand new. Deja Intendu. Intendu. This album artwork was created by Don and Ryan Clark of the Christian metal band Demon Hunter, huh. who also ran a graphic design studio called Invisible Creature. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So from what I understand, this is one of the most iconic 2000s album covers yeah. ever. I want this on a shirt. Yeah. Like, it's a cool cover. It's yeah. simple, but like, it's striking in the way an album cover should be. Yeah. You see this on the shelf and you're like, what's that album about? Yeah. Judge by covers. So which one had the better cover? Um, Obviously mine. I think the only reason I go brand new, like ex- like wholeheartedly, is because Train of Thought's album cover had existed before it was an album cover. Okay. It's just repurposed artwork from yeah. somewhere else. I would have a harder time deciding between the two, but I think brand new's Deja Intendu takes the cake. Yes. The cake, the pie, the ice cream. Huzzah. <laughs> Oh, man. We're nearing the end of the show now, aren't we? We are. What's next? It's probably not going to be four hours. We can only hope. (laughs) Uh, Would you like to talk runners up? Yeah. All right. And something that you wanted to do is we're going to name a 
a song takeaway from yeah. each album that you mentioned here. So to give you guys a little yeah. bit of uh, not nerd homework, you don't have to do it. Like a must, a must to listen. Yeah, like if you're going to like be like, okay, what other things that, and you just listen to one song, you make a playlist of all of these one songs. It'd be a very weird playlist. But uh, let us go with you first. So if we weren't listening to Dream Theater, uh, we could have been listening to well, sorry, Avenged Sevenfold, w- Waking the Fallen. So Avenged Sevenfold is, this is when they started to transition away from a straight up metalcore band to a, just a straight metal band. Cause again, like they're, they're also in that new wave of American heavy metal scene. Like mm-hmm. they are very much a, a leading player in that scene. So this is when they were abandoning the screaming lyrics of hardcore, right? Like metalcore and, you know, and, and. M Shadows, the singer, was singing more straight, clean vocals, and he wanted to be. They just wanted to be a straight heavy metal band, and that's what they were going into. So, mm-hmm. uh, best song on this album is "Unholy Confessions." That was like their big hit single from that album. Okay, it's pretty good. Is it also your favorite from it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, also, unexpected. Oh, unexpected. We invaders. Unexpect. Unexpect is a. Th- Listen, that is, so that's like music's final boss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like I should just read their opening Wikipedia. All right, do it. Unexpected is a Canadian avant-garde extreme metal band from Montreal featuring a uni- unique amalgamation of different metal genres, including progressive metal, death metal, black metal, and melodic heavy metal, and other styles of music, including European classical, medieval, opera, gypsy, jazz, electro, ambient, noise, and circus music. Okay. Final boss indeed. That was a lot. And We Invaders was a, a an EP okay. that they released. So it's only got a few songs. And I think my favorite is Chromatic Chimera. That one is, uh, yeah, they, they, they would re-record that, that song for their next album, their full LP debut. Mm-hmm. But uh, that version is pretty good. It's more of a stripped down version. Okay. Chromatic Chimera. Uh, it's still weird. <laughs> so like Unexpected is like, you, if you know me, it was like, yeah, Rodney would like that. But <laughs> most people wouldn't. Oh, okay, great. I'm not going to listen to it, kids, but you should definitely do it and let me know what you think. <laughs> okay, for me, runners up, uh, if we weren't listening to Brand New, we could have been listening to Linkin Park's Metroia? Meteora. 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 Meteora, which like, it's Linkin Park, guys. It's just, it's Linkin Park. Obviously, I listen to a lot of songs off of here, but I think my favorite off of this album is Numb. No. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, break, there's a lot of not, good ones. Not breaking the habit. Yep. No. Not breaking the like breaking the habit is great. Um. So is a lot of faint is good. All like there's a lot, but numb is probably my favorite. It's the one that I like. Sing scream. <laughs> if it wasn't that, it could have been Three Days Grace self titled album Three Days Grace. Uh. And there's a lot of like bangers on here, but I think my favorite on is um. I think. Let You Down. Let You Down is my, my favorite off of this album. It's good. This is also the album with like Home and Everything I Hate About You. Yeah, I Hate Everything About You. That's the one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we also could have been listening to, you know, The Greatest, The Goats, The Nickelback, uh, <laughs> The Long Road. Is this the one with Photograph on it? No, we'll no. be listening to that. Is this the one with I'm a rock star? Uh, no, that's after. <laughs> that's on Dark Horse, I believe. Uh so I think 
I think probably, I think I really like should have listened off of this album. There's again, good songs on here, like some days on here uh, and things like that. But I think I really like should have listened. I think it's got a moral that nobody really listens to because <laughs> it's not actual I moral. Know. I know you wouldn't. And then the other one that I should have listened that would have been it is Kelly Clarkson's uh, Thankful album. And that's the I, one that's the one with uh, Miss Independent. Yes. Kelly Clarkson. Did she win? Yep. She, she won American Idol. Yep. American Idol's first winner. Yes. Uh, and we are glad that she got out of that contract and is able to do her own things. And the best song off of this album. They're all good. Uh, low, low is the song. Low is just uh, probably the song that made me fall in love with Kelly Clarkson uh, way back when in 2003, when I definitely listened to this because the only season of American Idol that I ever watched all the way through was this one. It was the first one because I was like, why would I need to do that again? I don't want to do that again. I was not watching American Idol. Yeah, because you I, didn't like music. The only thing that came out of that culturally that penetrated my sphere was William Hung. Oh, yeah, that's fair. She bang, that, she bang. That was not the season, but for sure. I feel like everyone, you got, a, you got an album deal. Get, so. You got to respect William Hunt. Okay? You, you got to respect I, everyone. I guy. respect him. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it for our runners ups. Woo! So uh, this is the end. I guess we should tell you what else we've been up to. So. Or how to find us. So as we mentioned, you should follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Show, where we will post polls. For the best album and the best album artwork, videos, yeah. some music videos, MTV stuff. We'll see. You can support the show a few ways. Financially, you can support us by dropping us some cash on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash media made. You can buy us a coffee, really. Yeah. That's what that's for. So you want to support us financially and we, we you know. Make sure we can do these at uh, six o'clock in the morning when we start them. Yeah. I need coffee for real. <laughs> You can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. You can leave us a review, five stars, all good stuff helps us. You can follow me on Twitter at Rod the Master. I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. Tears of the Kingdom just came out. So if you uh, want to talk to like-minded fans about the new Zelda game, you can do that there. You could also uh, take advantage of our interactive Tears of the Kingdom map. If you're hunting for Korok seeds, it's the place to go. You can also see how many logs you can glue together. Yeah, 21 <laughs> apparently. And I host a YouTube wrestling show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. And uh, sometime soon we'll be releasing an episode about NWO Sting. So look forward to that. Uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me on YouTube under Taming Tales. I am not active in the least bit, but I did just put up a video um, of a friend who visited me in November. Yes, I put it up in May. Look. Life is hard. Die young and save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. No wiser words have ever been spoken. Anyway, do you have a song you want to close out with? Oh. I have a backup plan, but if you do you have a brand new song that is like... No. What was your backup plan? Uh, it was the song Strictly for the Name. It's called Okay, I Believe You, But My Tommy Gun Don't. Oh, yeah. Which is a quote from uh, uh, Home Alone. <laughs> the fake Home Alone. The, the movie? The fake Home Alone noir film, like the movie within a movie. It's called Angels with Dirty Souls or <laughs> Filthy Souls, I think. Angels with Filthy Souls. I wonder why nobody took that as a band name. Okay, I believe you. But my Tommy gun don't. 
Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Yes, please play that one. That so, one is a great ending. Yep, we're going to close out with that, and we'll be back next time with our TV of 2003. And remember, kids, communicate with your partner. Communicate. Communicate.